Chaz has been waiting centuries to just have someone call him a good boy. <laughs> Dune, the redhead who killed the retiring conductor. So, like, in that Played first by episode. Sting. What's up? <laughs> Played by Sting. Played by Sting. A little redhead Dune joke for you Chalamet. <laughs> Tim- oh my gosh that, there would absolutely be a character in the show named timothee chalomay like that's exactly how it'd be written too oh man if they were they, they, you think he could play a good jacuzzi plot he really had like a good like so like, if they, boy if, man body for a jacuzzi if he talked if they <laughs> if they made this as a live action what would happen is he should play jacuzzi plot but they would cast him as claire stanfield oh my yeah. god you're right they would you're, you're they would Welcome to Ghost Divers. This is an anime podcast on the Explore Audio Network. I'm your co-host, Neve, and I'm joined by your other co-host, Connor. Hey, everybody. And today we're also joined by uh, John Charles. Uh, I'm Hello, I'm the guest on today's show who has not mentioned the possibility that I might have been the main character of the podcast the entire time. Uh, so anyway, what was this about the Iron Giant, or are we actually going to answer questions? <laughs> I just feel like... You know, I just feel like it's been a long time since anyone talked about that movie. <laughs> uh, people are talking about it now because they put the Iron Giant in the Warner Brothers Smash Brothers, which, like, put whoever you oh, want. They are. Oh, Yeah, put whoever you want in a fighting game. It. Putting the Iron Giant in any sort of combat scenario feels uh, antithetical to the exact purpose of the Iron Giant, <laughs> which I am actually straight up not a fan of. Uh, that's maybe uh, my one also- mark against it. This was, also happens with Ready Player One, I think. Yeah, yes, um, he's also oh, a weapon. He, he is also a weapon in that movie as well. And that, <laughs> that the only points that movie gets from me is that Battleborn character show up in it, and I am like two of the seven people on Earth who loved Battleborn, so it's cool <laughs> to see him in that movie. But yeah, the Iron Giant literally exists because Brad Bird's sister was murdered by someone wielding a gun when they were children, and it was his like that movie was kind of his kind of like love letter way of grappling with his feelings about this and it's a story about anti-violence like making the iron giant a weapon in anything is it, it tears me up inside i don't it's i i don't know do what you want with the character but it's like that seems like the wrong thing to do with the wrong character like it's a really weird choice to make yeah JC, uh, it's it's great having you on the podcast it really <laughs> yeah, is to talk about um it's so it's so nice to just be like I have some random shit popping in my head and then just be like, let me just like, like pitch this one over to JC and see what happens. I, yeah. I, the Iron Giant. Yeah. Let's, let's see yeah. what happens. I have to live with these <laughs> thoughts in my head all the time. <laughs> I, I'm like this all the time. <laughs> um. <laughs> uh, okay. 
Um, JC, what are, what are your opinions on Bakuno? Uh, well, if you've listened to the last three episodes, you should know that I love it. It's still one of my favorite anime. It's in a close running for my favorite. Um, ultimately, I think, like, it might have some flaws in terms of, like, its goals and stuff, but I think, like, uh, the spirit and the attitude of it is very interesting, and it's still a really fun exploration of, um, challenging the audience to think about what a story is, who tells that story, why we tell that story, and what purpose they serve for us, uh, culturally and as a community, and... In that way, I think it is still a very successful show that I wish Anaplex would put back in print in America one day. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, you know, once they listen to our to our episodes on Bakuno, <laughs> we'll have to send. I'm them sure a- that will fall. I'm sure that will happen shortly after. Yeah, we, we got to transfer this episode to a micro tape and uh, leave it on their office uh, doorstep. <laughs> Yeah, with some with a threat attached. <laughs> Listen to this podcast, or else. <laughs> and when, and, while, well, and while I have you, maybe I'm gonna you. I'm gonna have to cut this part before we send it because now it's incriminating evidence. <laughs> well, I mean, it's just like I'm speaking ironically. I didn't say mm, which no. Anaplex I was going to send it to. Maybe I meant the Anaplex uh, Children's Hospital. Yeah, that's <laughs> what I meant. <laughs> totally unrelated. Okay, now we have to cut it. <laughs> All right. Um, so what are we doing today? What's going on? Ne- Neve is putting in the, the markers for when, when she's going to cut that. When she's going to cut <laughs> <laughs> uh y'all can incriminate yourselves if you want i'm not in this uh should we do the first email let's okay yeah let's do it okay this one comes in from julia also do you want me to send the the google doc for this jc uh yeah um, sure let me take a look at it yeah i will just send it like uh dm i guess maybe the easiest way to do this so i am turning on streamer um, mode as well so, uh, Juliet writes in, and they say, uh, first question, is Claire Stanfield a trans dude? He's got the vibes 100% and also literally goes, oh me? Well, up until not too long ago, I was known all around by the name Claire Stanfield. I've been thinking a lot lately about ditching that name, but I don't have the right replacement picked out yet. Um, and then, is there anything as trans as leaving to go join the circus for a few years and then returning hotter than ever and ready to make a new life with a new name? Similarly, when he talks about himself, he says, I'm the former Claire Stanfield, or to some Vino. Uh, I was a transcontinental railroad conductor for a while, uh, and Juliet makes the, the <laughs> intentional decision to, to put a space here between trans and continental. <laughs> that's that's um, some high-level... High high level- question bucketing uh-huh. uh, so i appreciate that yeah um i feel so i guess my my serious answer here is i will sometimes like uh talk about tra- trans head canons on here but not honestly as often as i sometimes have them um because often i kind of bring it up if i feel like there's an actual like um particular thematic thing that's happening mm-hmm. so the the part where this happens the most is whenever i talk about the major and ghost in the shell not because i think that um like actually textually 
Major Kusanagi is like it's not about like building a case of evidence for me, but rather the way that that character is talking about like the the themes around that character is talking about like ownership of the body and uh, to what degree you own your body and to what degree like um, the state owns your body or like other people have ownership over your body. Um, And those are things that have. Uh, thematic resonance with both like trans experience as well as uh, disability experience stuff too. Um, The like degree to which you are given ownership over your own body and your ability to like uh, do what you want with it. And then also with the major, um, a lot of that is around like prosthetics and stuff. Well, yes, like like, prosthetics, but also around like the, the big thing I often talk about the major is when I've done like, work where I have to, to do, like, I am trying to do trans liberatory work and that involves working with trans people who are in the military, um, and who feel like being in that position has given them access to the hormones that they need to like have their body be what they want it to look like. Um, and then it, it being this difficult thing of like, okay, so like the position that you're in is giving you this certain amount of like power, uh, privilege, access to the things that you need to like have the body that you want. Also, it is at the like expense of you being a tool for like enacting state violence on other countries. So, <laughs> um, and there's a there's a tension there that I, I think is sometimes easy to like blow off, but I find interesting. And when I think about the major, I, that's like an interesting thing for me mm-hmm. uh, to puzzle through. Um, and so, like I I fully buy this. Uh, Claire Stanfield is a trans dude. Um, I don't know if I have like other further thematic takes on it, other than I guess he feels like one of the most who like talks to some degree about identity mm-hmm. um but also yeah i i feel like my take on bacano is kind of i i came to this conclusion that it was um at least for me operating primarily in the space of comedy where we can talk about Cromartie high school and we can talk about themes in Cromartie high school and some of the stuff that is doing and i think bacano is developing themes a little bit more than crow high often does crow high is more just explicitly comedy um but sometimes like i i'm not getting quite as much of the the uh like really interrogating of themes from something that is comedic in this way um even if there is still some of that there so yeah i don't i don't have much else (laughs) to do with like claire stanfield as a trans dude other than yeah it makes sense. I will. I will uh, fold this headcanon into my <laughs> understanding of the character. Yeah, I mean, I could. I feel like I could read that the same way. I kind of um, read those. Um, well, I, f- I feel like reading implies that like there might be a bit of stretch in it because I'm about to say like the same way I feel about the Matrix when it's like those themes are explicitly in that in that work in those works, and um, I kind of see the same conflict that because like. The last I watched the Matrix for the first time in a really long time, right before the Matrix Four came out, and um, one of my closest friends is trans, and she was actually coming over for Christmas, and she is the biggest uh, Matrix fan I know on this planet. And I rewatched the first one to kind of refamiliarize myself with it, and I went to go see the Matrix with her on Matrix Four with her on like Christmas Eve or whatever, because it was just like the two of us, and it was great getting to see the movie through her eyes, and. Um, Thinking about my friend when I was watching it and about the the journey that the um, 
that the uh, Wachowskis have been through, I kind of was seeing a bit more of those themes. And I feel like the, 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 the cool thesis of that movie is that like, there are two kinds of people who watch something like the matrix and take a lesson away from it. And I think you see this embodied in uh, Claire and, and, um, and, uh, and lad, which is like, you have people who watch the matrix and say, if you found out you were living in a simulation, what would you do? And then there are people who find out who weren't watch that. And they think if you found out you were living in a, in a simulation, what wouldn't you do? And I think it is that, uh, that acknowledgement of understanding that uh, you you only you you get to claim as much ownership over your own body and your identity in so much as you are willing and able and have the ability to identify that as being yours and yours alone and you having control over your autonomy fully and embracing that and not necessarily uh, doing that through the lens of what does my identity uh, impose upon others, but more rather like what does my identity tell about others and how may that help inform them about how they can also um, come to identify their own identities within themselves. And like, uh, I definitely feel like that it's a major element of uh, Claire's perspective on the world in which um, he, he, he was basically given a new, a new life by his adoptive family. And, um, I guess much, much kind of like a, like a tool of the military. He was a tool of the mafia. And just as time has gone on, he just understood, he just had a stronger feeling about his place in the world and took control over it to kind of make himself even like, instead of being a tool of the mafia, he made himself more of a free floating agent where like, um, they don't, they don't, they don't look at him and say like, it's not the situation of like, we say jump, you say how high it's, they say, we need someone to jump this high. And he says, yeah, I could do that. Let me just do it because I know I want to do it. And that's, the opposite of the kind of viewpoint that, uh, that lad, that lad has, uh, I don't know. It's, it's, it's an interesting, I think it's an interesting perspective to take on, on the character and the show and one that I think works and one that I would be more than, uh, happy with and would make, I don't know, it makes sense to me. And it's a, it is a head, it's a head cannon I could really get behind. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I think, um, I don't know if I'm like, if I can fully connect this back to um, the idea of like Claire Stanfield as a, as a trans man. Um, But I do think it's an interesting Avenue to like, look at it's an interesting Avenue to read the character Um, because like Claire's as like Claire's kind of like extreme solipsism um is this interesting um like crux where like on one hand it is like this ultimate uh claim of like autonomy um and like identity um in the sense of like co- uh collapsing those two things together in like um a totalizing way of like, Oh, okay. Like the world is just me. (laughs) Like, it's not even about like, Oh yeah. Like I'm, you know, claiming my, myself, um, as like, you know, I'm asserting my like identity as something that, uh, like exists and is like whole. Um, it's like, no, I'm subsuming everything to my identity. Um, and, uh, so it's an interesting crux in that, like, you know, Claire is, uh, 
doing this kind of like staking out or this like uh actualization um in a way that um maybe is like uh like uh, attractive um but it's also like paired with or part of like this larger program of just like total solipsism um so it's almost like taken to uh it's like taken to an extreme in a way that like um complicates it a lot um so i i do think like that could be a larger discussion um but I'm not prepared to, <laughs> to do that, uh, to do all of that right now. But, uh, so yeah, it seems like we have, uh, a consensus here. Yeah. Um, question two, is Ronnie the main character or put my more accurately is his point of view, the watching and seeing if the human spirit can prevail. Uh, if we really can smile, despite how bad and bloody it all can be, the point of the whole story is Bacchino saying that this is the point of all stories and the point of having humans at all. I mean, they don't call it the Ronnie Chronicles for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ronnie, Ronnie learned that back in ancient Egypt. Yeah, I mean, this as we found out, the the like entire plot of Bacchino begins with Ronnie. Um, <laughs> So, and then with the the anime ending, like with Ronnie, um, yeah, that Ends kind of like Ronnie. book ending. Well, and I know, like you know, we're we're now like we're kind of like introducing bias here because we're we're yeah. taking the anime as the end and the novels as the beginning. But um, you know, there there is a kind of like book ending that's happening, even if the, we just talk about the anime. Uh, um, you know, if I had to think about it, I think I wouldn't say Ronnie is the main character, but I think I might say Ronnie is perhaps, especially in terms of the anime, our main narrator. Um, aside from arguably Isaac and Miria, he is the only omniscient character by design. And throughout the show, it's kind of shown to us that he is basically like watching the events of this fold out. People are doing things in his name. Like uh, there are probably ways in which he is able to observe the events of uh of the different timelines that go beyond kind of like typical human understanding. Um, Cause we, we established that he's not explicitly uh, Satan. He is, he is a homunculus. So he does have his limits, but he still is a, he still is magic in a sense. Um, he, he and Isaac and Miriam may be the only characters that have all the parts of the story, but he's the only one who knows what to do with those parts of the story. And uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I would say Ronnie is maybe more of the main narrator than main character. I know what you, I know what you folks think about that. Yeah, I think for me, it's like you know the whole like question of who's the main character of Bacchino is like that's part of the comedy. Like the fact that it's such a canard and it's like set up as a canard is like yeah. part of the comedy. Um, and I enjoy like participating in that in our discussions. Um, so like, I, I enjoy this aspect of the question. Um, but I also like, I do think it's like, uh, like an incisive question on the themes. Um, just because like, one of the key questions for me about Bakuno still is like, so it obviously has this like existentialist perspective. Um, 
or you know it's like engaging with that um but whether or not it's like a moralist like existentialist perspective um it you know whether like oh well yeah the moral is that like you know humans like is ronnie saying that like you know oh we just have to like laugh as like an amoral um response or that you know there's some sort of moral like behavior that's that's being prescribed or something um i think that's still like a of in um fruitful question for me um yeah so yeah i don't know i the answer is i don't know i don't know what bacchino is saying um number three i feel like i don't have uh like a ton of response to this one but maybe one of you does either way i figure we can at least just read it um so uh this might come out of left field but have you ever thought about uh for some reason in reading this, I completely forgot how to say Miria when I saw Harvin and was trying to figure out how to say Harvin. It's like, who the um, hell is Harvin? <laughs> I, I remember that I was her last name. I just had a moment of being like, wait, how do I say that? Um, and then it made me want to say Maria instead of Miria. Mm. Anyway, we would have, uh, have you ever thought, meant. yeah. Have you ever thought about, uh, Maria Harvin? No, I did it again. <laughs> Miria Harvin. <laughs> <laughs> I want the like R R the the A R A R anyway. Um, as a character <laughs> with Down syndrome, uh, feel free to not talk about this. It doesn't seem germane on the pod, but over the years of watching the show, I've come to think of it as, if not intentional in the show itself, definitely interesting way of viewing her character in the show. Um, if they ever made a live action production of the show, I think it'd be a great opportunity to cast an actress. Um, yeah, I don't have a, a ton of thoughts on this one, but. Yeah, neither do I, unfortunately. I guess as much as I kind of have to say is, like, um, I think there's definitely a reading of the character that places her on the spectrum. Um, I myself have wondered kind of, like, if Miria's... Um, I mean, what, what what makes Miria's background interesting to me is not necessarily uh, the kind of person that she is, but what are the circumstances that somebody like her has ended up with somebody like Isaac and... Um, I'm not saying I need a background on that, but I think that is an interesting um, angle to perhaps take into the uh, relationship between Isaac and Miria, given like uh, the time in the world that the characters live in. I could see Isaac being the kind of character who shows um, a character like Miria, like the kind of like um, compassion she may not find elsewhere. In general, I think that is generally what is at the core of their relationship is that uh, Isaac shows Miria a type of compassion and uh, patience and understanding that she does not get uh, anywhere else from anyone else in her life. But Isaac was there to provide that for her. So um, that is, again, that is an, as an interesting reading that I think kind of jives with my thoughts and feelings and perspective on the show already. And it's definitely one to... Uh, Definitely one to um, think about. Uh, you also have placed the. Uh, you also have placed in my brain uh, the idea of trying to think about what the uh, Netflix live action adaptation of Bacchano would even look like. <laughs> I'm telling you, Timothée Chalamet as Jacuzzi Spot that, uh, needs to be we, the first. The first casting. Hey, look at the. No, look at the we, there's a monkey's paw with a finger curling right now. You better watch yourself. 
Remember, we we talked about how they they would actually cast Tom Holland to be Jacuzzi Splot. Mm. <laughs> We're there's going to be a question later on about this. We'll get to it. Um, so uh, <laughs> we'll do fourth question though. We're gonna we're gonna get there. Uh, this is the fourth question from uh, Juliet. Uh, they say, uh, "Have you gone back to watch the first episode again? I always think it's a fun episode of media to consume after having seen the whole season because you can go, wait, wow, this really, uh, uh, this really is told to us, even though we couldn't have p- gathered all of it." Uh, also, you can go, everything this episode is explained in the following 15 e- uh, episodes, except, but wait, who is this lady and why is she cutting Isaac's ear off? Um, I can send this photo if, if you all want to see it. Yeah, it, send it. Is um, it? I guess I'll see this lady, but I thought the ear thing, if it's not yeah. a vision from the distant future, distant being past the boundaries of the story, is that one of the, like, uh, Oh yeah, who the hell is this lady? Okay, now, yeah, now I gotta, now I gotta, I gotta see this lady. I gotta, I, I gotta see this broad where she's at. Let me, let me take a look here. Um, just like everybody's there, and she just got like that's a, a good question. Um, who who's on the floor? <laughs> I don't know. Is that um what's um, his face? You know that's what? That's the uh, uh, niece's brother. You know no. what this this yes. might this might be something that happens like later on in uh, the story, as in like something that doesn't happen on the show, and something that happens in the in the books and is a uh, animated. Yeah, as she's a just way. got like a fucking glaive. Like where <laughs> the hell did the, where does this even happen? I mean, look at all these characters. So, like, look at this lady with the two swords. Who was on the floor here? Um, I think that girl with the glasses on the right we did see in the OVA, I believe, because I think she was one of the children. That they mm. were playing with, I'm pretty sure. Like, there are characters in this that are definitely not just yeah. background characters. Uh, I was pulling up a list of characters from Bacano to um, fill in for some questions later, just to kind of give us a working list. Um, and there was one who was like, I don't remember this character, and started reading the description, and it was like, a Mexican lady who dual wields katanas. And now I'm looking, and like, yeah, she's back there. She's back there in this. <laughs> so, I don't know. Maybe um, if Bacchano got uh, greenlit for a second season, this might have been one of the first things you would have seen. Uh, right now, it just makes me think of... Um, so, we have started doing Pondering Putan with Ajishiro Taro and Hachimitsu Boy, which means that uh, Connor will finally get to read the arc that happens in Karate High School. Uh, at one point, it actually does have like a continuous plot arc. Um and there was speculation when the the anime was made of like how are they going to make an anime out of this this manga that's like mostly short gags? Mm-hmm. Um, maybe they'll do that arc. Um, and so in the like opening title sequence, they show something from that arc, which is one of the characters hitting a, a pillow with a wooden stick, um, <laughs> and then it never comes up at all in the show. Um, and they literally just put it in there as a joke to make people think that they would finally get to that part. Um, so that's all I, I think of when I see this. Anyway, I forgot to rewatch the first episode. I was going to do it, um, before we recorded this. And, um, there was a point recently where I was like, oh, I was going to do that, but I had already deleted all the files off of my computer so that I would Mm -hmm. have space for other stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was like, I don't want to go, like, try and download the file again to, like, watch it. 
Um, put it back in print and a flex. Lane, so. Put it back on Hulu where it was so easy to just get to. Yeah. Uh, I'm kind of shocked. I've watched this show like maybe like a dozen times and not once that I ever pieced together that that part with the ear doesn't actually happen in the show. Uh, yeah, you're like the resident Bacchino expert, JC. I think the, close, the hell? I think the closest I've ever come to watching the first episode after watching the show was the first time I watched this show. I probably rewatched it about maybe like three or four weeks later, and I think that was definitely uh, it was it is a treat rewatching the show, especially that first episode because it's so much easier to follow. Um, I think the first episode has the benefit of just overwhelming you the first time you're watching it because you're being presented with. Um, Four, I think at least four different points of time, possibly five with this ear thing, too. You're presented with, like, so many different points in time. You're presented with every character at least once. Um, the crumbs are there that if you're following it, you know what to look for, like how you see um, Miza in both the past and the present. The first time I watched it, I was... I'm, 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 like, I'm, like, I'm like the mother in the room. I'm just like, who are all these characters? I'm barely placing the faces that I'm seeing, so, like, I don't make the connection that I saw one character in the past and one in the future the closest it probably comes is like realizing that chesla is the kid who got shot in the face but somehow gets off the train too but aside from that like um there's just so much going on being told to you non-linearly with like two dozen characters that like uh they play their all they play their whole hand in the first episode but it's like um it's like when a magician is showing you tricks but he's also like jerking you around to kind of like show off to the audience where he's like you see this card how about this card what about this card that card that card that card and obviously it's too fast for you to see it and the audience just has to laugh at you and you're like but the magician did it it was the magician so i know it is fun to go back to it later because uh now you've learned i'm just describing as i'm just describing an i think you should leave sketch at this point now you've learned how the magic trick works and you go back to the magic show and you can tell the magician when he starts to is like ha no no i know how this works he won't fool me i i know how it works now so like is if you if you watch this for the first time because of this podcast i do recommend going back and rewatching that first episode if you haven't done it already um at a minimum Consider watching the show again at some point in the future. It will go down differently the second time compared to the first. JC, I'm, I'm sorry you had that that experience <laughs> at that magic show that we went to together. I have known a lot of magicians. <laughs> I, I, I swear I thought you were having a good time. I really I thought you were enjoying it. They were laughing at um, me, not with me. <laughs> um... I think we can we can move on to the next email. Yeah, Let's go. I agree. I haven't I haven't rewatched the first episode, but this like I'm gonna have to now. Yeah, um, it's interesting that we had three people email us, and all three people sent us four questions each. Um, patterns everywhere. So these next four come from uh, Joao. Um, he actually sent two emails. So the first three were in one email and then the last one was in another email. Uh, cause he was like, I forgot to send it. He it looks like he kind of like, like rushed, he, he rushed yes. this last question. In. <laughs> uh, and I was like, you can send multiple emails. Like I, I will read your other email too. Um, anyway. Uh, so his first question here is who is your anime sickos boyfriend? Uh, and Joe says mine is lad. Um, so first I was like, specifically within Bacano, but this is worded more broadly. Oh yeah. This is um, a broad one. Yeah. I feel like if it was within Bacano, uh, it's clear for me. Um, 
I also see the appeal of Lad. I don't. If anybody has Graham Spector, like go with God, but I don't see the appeal. <laughs> that's, the, <laughs> that's the real anime sicko. <laughs> yes, um, but I fully see the appeal of Lad. Uh, but I think I just like Claire more. Um, Can we define anime sickos just for the purpose of the like? Yeah. Um, is it just like like what I think it is? It's just like an anime character who's like uh, a sicko, messed up. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's all Got is it. all is all fucked up. It's totally twisted. Uh, yeah. You know, it's Jokerfied. Um, <laughs> okay. You know, not your mama's yeah, yeah. anime character. <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh-huh. Um. And so I I had the benefit of seeing all of these emails when I I pulled them and put them into this uh, document for us. Um, and I was thinking about this one because I was like, who, you know, at first I had Bacchino and I was like, oh, I guess it's Claire. Um, and then I was like, oh, who would it be like broadly though? Um, and so I was thinking about like first going to what's anime that I really like. Um, and people can tell me if this doesn't count. I will accept it if you think that this doesn't count. Um, but because like boyfriend here is like using that term as questionable. But in terms of, like, an anime character who's just, like, oh, I just want to, like, kill. I just want to, like, murder everyone that you love. Um, like, I have this, like, weird, twisted uh, internal morality around how I'm going to kill a bunch of people. It's got to be Nova from My Earth. Um, oh, my God. I love Nova so much. <laughs> and she's a sicko. She's an anime sicko. <laughs> okay, we'll allow it. We'll allow it, but with the asterisk that, like, but yeah, that was an easy way out. You can talk about your anime sickos boyfriends, and I will. I will um, see if I can think of another one. But um, that one just hit me, and I was like, "I mean, nothing else is going to feel as true as that." Yeah. So yeah. I'm racking my brain because, like, um, if we're going very specifically with boyfriend, because, like, yeah, if we're going very specifically with boyfriend. I've got okay. So hear me out on this. I think I would have to go with Jacuzzi Splat, because here's the thing. Here's the thing. <laughs> he is he is soft- I knew it all no, along. Wait, wait, GC. wait. He is, I knew he, it. He is softy Woody Allen, like soft boy on the outside. You know, can't get into a fight without without crying and always going for the shonen boy I fight for my friends stick or whatever. But you gotta look at the way that Nice is around him, right? Cause like Nice is not is not a softy the same way that Jacuzzi is. Like Nice is her own kind of like overt sicko, and like if somebody like like uh, Jacuzzi really uh, does it for her, and it's like it's I mean Jacuzzi in and of himself is a bomb. Jacuzzi we the Jacuzzi in the streets is the wick being lit. Jacuzzi in the sheets is the bomb itself. And you know, you know that Jacuzzi's got to be an anime sicko. Come on. You got to know. You got to know. But um, if we're going to... There's a lot of there's, <laughs> there's a lot of passion in that answer, and I respect it. But if yeah. we're going to go broadly, I'm going to go a little broad with my answer, and I'll wheel it in here just because, like, I'm he's, he's got to show up in an anime somewhere. I will have to go with Byakuya from Danganronpa. Um I've been playing a lot of mur- like every piece of media I've been taking in lately has been a murder mystery. Like uh, I've, I've been playing like I've been playing through Danganronpa games. I've been playing through uh, 
Ace Turney. And when you go see the Bob's Burgers movie, that's a murder mystery. Everything's a murder mystery. And um, it's a world of difference going between Ace Attorney and Don Garopa. Because Ace Attorney is literally the game where you as a lawyer fuck up and the judge and the prosecuting lawyer goes, no, no, that's okay. Why don't you try it again? Take your time. We'll wait here till you get it right. It's okay. You're, you're learning. It's a learning process, right? And then you go to Don Garopa, which is like, the same sort of thing, except everybody is constantly negging you, and nobody negs you harder than Biakia does. He was like, um, uh, what's this whole thing? He's like the ultimate, like, uh, he's, uh, the, uh, the ultimate, like, affluent student, I believe. So, like, basically, he comes from a rich family, and he's, he, because he is rich, he believes he is good at everything. And so, uh, every time you're in a room trying to solve a mystery, and he's in the room, he's like, hmm. So I'm, I don't care to see whether or not you know this or not, but I'm curious to see if you'll actually figure it out. Here you go, idiot. I just wrote down all the answers for you. Maybe you're smart enough to tell me what it means. Hmm? Let's find out. And like, without fail, over the course of the entire game, if you're ever in a room with Biakia, he's just always doing that shtick with you. And near the end of the game, I had to look for, like, there's a big part where it's like, okay, last mystery, just find the clues and see what you can figure out. And I go into this room and Biakia is in there. And I'm just kind of like, I don't want to fucking talk to you, man. I know what you're going to say. You're just going to neg me. And I start looking at, around the room, and immediately one text box in, Biakia interrupts and goes, oh, so now you're not going to talk to me? Fine. I'll just note this. And, like, honestly, that was the moment I, I got one over by him, and I was like, you know what? You've negged me just enough, and now you've melted you're my, my heart. <laughs> it's, it's, turns turns out this stuff actually works. Good for you, Biakia. You've gone from one of my least favorite characters to one of my favorites, just for your tenacity. Way to go. Um, Connor, you got to step to the sicko plate now. I'm yeah. I'm just I'm just processing that <laughs> that answer. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think um, my my anime sicko's boyfriend is Makishima from Psychopaths. We haven't seen Psychopaths um, in a hot sec. Oh yeah, and uh, I kn- I know you haven't seen it either, Dave. So when we get to Psychopaths, just I'm sure this will. I'm sure you'll have this in mind. Um, so this will be a fun little like wrinkle for our psychopaths coverage um, when we get there. Um, but yeah, I think that's pretty much it's a pretty easy answer for me. Yeah. I, th- I thought of two other ones uh, that would, would more accurately be uh, boyfriends. Uh, so one is I'm currently reading through Berserk. Um, I'm having kind of mixed feelings on it, but I, I know I'm getting to the part that like a uh, friend of the podcast M like thinks of where the manga really takes off. Like I'm just starting to get to the, the JRPG party forms. Um, and I feel like what I enjoy from manga and what I'm enjoying in Berserk, um, I might enjoy like the later parts more, uh, but I'm like, in chapter or I'm in like volume 17 or something now. Um, and I've been not as hot on it on as a lot of people I know have been. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would still say Griffith for anime sicko boyfriend. Um, mm-hmm. he, he's definitely pretty sicko and also hot. So, um, and then the other one that I thought of, um, I feel like, like there are other characters in Inuyasha who I, I think I, find like more attractive or more like boyfriend material, but especially like for doing this anime sickos one, I feel like the one that's the most appropriate is Naraku. Um, I could see that like, 
Because, like, he's a little bit of a brat. He kind of... He's the most just, like, villain, like, I'm going to... I'm going to try to, in the most annoying way possible, kill you and also not be around to, like, finally see it. Uh, just, like, full dumb villain brain. So, um, and he's pretty good. Um, there are definitely some other, uh, like, mid-tier villains in Inuyasha, though, who I think I enjoy more. It's just less, like, fitting into this exact uh, archetype for me, I think. Mm. Um, I just looked him up and Griffith are, is pretty Have either hot. of you watched or read Inuyasha? Uh, I have not. That I watched Inuyasha like in in the part of my life that is like consigned to oblivion. <laughs> yeah. Um, like and no, well the other not the not the second part of my life that's consigned to oblivion for different reasons. The first part of my life when and this is like early teens, like tsunami, like watching late at night and barely remembering like watching like Inuyasha and Yu Yu Hakusho and all that. Um, yeah. So yeah, I've watched a lot of Inuyasha, but like retained nothing. Do you, do you remember who Naraku is at all? The a spider, lot of the beginning right? he's in the, the like baboon skin. Um, yeah. And it, he's the spider, right? Spider guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I don't remember like, Again, the other thing about watching this stuff on Toonami is, like, you're just watching random episodes here and there. So, like, you either watch it all and then you, like, reassemble it into proper order. Or you just don't even know, like, you know, like, oh, the guy they're fighting right now. Is this, like, the big bad or is this just, like, you know, some, like, minor. Yeah, I don't know. I, I just, like, don't. Have, I wasn't able to like piece the narrative together. I think in a way that like made it stick for me. Um, but I just like remember like random images from it and sequences. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Both uh, I can confirm both these sekos are pretty hot. They're pretty. They're, they're cuties. Both of them. <laughs> um, uh, do, they have enough, do they have enough Woody Allen vibes for you, JC? God no, that's I made it clear. That's not what I found interesting about Jacuzzi in that way. I would have a different answer for a girlfriend, but the question was boyfriend, and that's what leave it. Should have written that in as a question, then I would have answered it. Um, <laughs> um Yeah, you're never gonna live that one down. <laughs> Shall I do the second question here? Let's go. Yeah. Um, so the second question, having in mind that murder is actually cool and not a big deal in Bacano, <laughs> is Lad Russo a himbo? Uh, I, if, I mean, if, uh, Isaac wasn't in the show, Lad would be the closest thing we have to it, but Isaac is straight up a himbo. He fits all, he ticks all the boxes of being yeah. a himbo. Yeah. Like, Lad is um, not, Lad is not, um inept enough to be a himbo because that's the thing about a himbo that makes a himbo work is that well i mean there's there's three parts being a himbo one obviously you have to be hot okay you have to be you have to be really hot two you kind of have to be dumb you got to be dumb as a bag of rocks three you also have to be very nice you have to be as sweet as a bag of rocks like um i think like like the like the, the control for a himbo in my mind that anyone can get behind is uh Kronk in the Emperor's New Groove because he is he is hot, he is nice, and he is um 
What's the third thing I said? He has thumb. He has all three of those things, and it works. When you see Kronk and you say, that is a himbo, you're like, you know what? Yes, it is. Uh, Isaac, I think, ticks more of those boxes than Lad does, just because Lad is a little too smart. Well, I don't know if I'd say Lad is smart. He's clever, but he's not... If you if if you told if you told Isaac he was a himbo, he would either say, I don't even know what that is, or more accurately, he would say, like, of course, I wrote the book on himbos. He said it to Lad, Lad would just kind of say, like, what you fucking say to me? So like it's 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 hard it's harder it's hard to zero in on Lad for me. I For me, yeah. like I think the way this works in my mind as as you two were like talking. I was just imagining like Johnny Bravo. Um and I was like is Lad like Johnny Bravo? Um and at first I was like no no no. Um but then I'm like but if Johnny Bravo was just like obsessed with murder instead of like machismo <laughs> then he would probably be kind of like Lad. Uh you know Johnny um, Bravo was supposed to be like the character is like 16 years old, yeah. <laughs> I did not know what? that. What? <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, I guess, I guess that like, I guess that makes sense for like it being a kids show. But what? <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, I, that's really uh, bizarre. It shook me up to learn that I actually did have to like stop and sit there for five minutes. And I thought about it. Was like, yeah, you know what? I guess that does make sense for him to be like sixteen. The only thing about that though is like it makes it a little less funny that he lives with his uh, mama, but it makes a lot of other stuff make a lot of sense. <laughs> so yeah, um, it, with that in mind, I think, I think yeah, I think this works for me. Just like, you know, taking that he's obsessed with murder and not like some other, you know, machismo or like women or whatever. I I think th- I think the thing for me is that um Lad is obsessed with murder before murder is actually cool and not a big deal. <laughs> yeah. You know. Yeah. Um like all all of the anime sickos in Bakano start out as anime sickos. Um and then Lad's the not wrench- in on the joke. Yes. The the yeah. like wrench that gets thrown in them being anime sickos is not one of Graham Spector's wrenches, but is in fact that people are immortal. Um, but that is a thing that comes like after the fact, you know. So that, I think that's the big thing for me is that like if, if Lad Russo was just like a a big dumb hot guy who when he finds out that people are immortal is like oh, great, I'm just going to murder a bunch because it's not a big deal. That's a very different vibe than what we have. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a far more, like, himbo vibe to me. Yeah. Um, question then, three. Uh, question three. <laughs> this is the obligatory psychic damage question. Is Bakano the pulp fiction of anime? If not, what is the pulp fiction of anime? Um... I'm thinking about this because, like, <laughs> okay, the so pulp, the pulp fiction of anime is Kill Bill. So, uh, I mean, look, okay, <laughs> here's my thing on Quentin Tarantino. I'm gonna say outright, it's okay to like him, it's okay to hate him, feel how you want. He's good at what he does, but he has he has highs, he has lows, he has strengths, he has problems, whatever. 
my thing about Quentin Tarantino, and this comes up a lot if you ever see, like, um, if, ever, if there's ever any, like, director that gets a, the tiny bit, bit eclectic or, like, game developer, because, like, this happens all the time when I'm talking to people about uh, Suda51, uh, the creator of, like, No More Heroes of Killer7, um, which, also, if you guys ever want to do a Killer7 episode, please call me back for that. I will absolutely come on for that. But, um... People are always like, oh, well, Suda51 is like the uh, Tarantino of gaming. And it's like, uh-uh, no, 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 no. People like Suda51, they have very eclectic tastes, and their works are very informed by those tastes. Quinn Tarantino has the eclectic taste, and he just liberally steals from those things and puts them in his work. That is the big difference. That being said, Pulp Fiction stands alone as maybe like his single, one of his single most original pieces of work. That's not him just kind of like aping the style and content of the things he likes. And it's on those grounds that I think that movie kind of works. So, like, I'm kind of scratching my head to kind of think about this, where it's like, I feel like the pulp fiction of anime would be something that's not necessarily eclectic or feels derivative of other media, but is more rather very both intense and dialogue heavy. But the focus is kind of more on the hanging out aspect of the dialogue before it is punctuated by, like, intense animants uh violence and as i'm thinking about it i'm trying to think about the i'm thinking about the anime i've seen that would probably fit this bill and maybe actually that show might be bento if any of y'all have ever seen it it's a really fun fighting anime that's uh don't worry it's not very quentin tarantino i just tino e i just would say this is the pulp fiction of it on the grounds that i've set for my criteria it is a show about students where at the end of the day, if you're familiar with the way that can, that uh, grocery stores and uh, convenience stores, like you know a Conveni, like a Lawrence or um, or a, what's what's another one where they have like Seven Eleven, Lawrence, there's one, Family Mart, that's it, like something like that. At the end of the day, they well during the day they have these bento boxes, which are like these really tasty uh, lunch meals. Like uh, they set them out, they're on, they have prices, whatever. In the final hours or two of these stores being open, often these things are marked down to like half price or less because the suit is fresh and it's priced to move. And so there's basically a club of kids at this high school where uh, there's multiple clubs, these factions of kids, where it's their quest to get the best possible bento at the end of the day for the lowest possible price. And when this happens, the entire show breaks out into an all-out brawl and it's fantastic but that's only probably about like a fifth of every episode the rest of it is just kind of characters just like hanging out and talking about like life and the philosophy of like how getting the cheapest bento represents getting the most out of life and working hard for a meal but also knowing that like you didn't spend a lot of money to get it so it's it's these very kind of like uh these kind of very like this sounds more like a jim jarmish type deal <laughs> and not not a clinton tarantino I like Quentin, Tar- Quentin Tarantino's version of this would just be set to like music from like spaghetti westerns and Kurosawa films while people are talking and fighting. But it is it is that careful blend of um, discuss t- conversations about nothing juxtaposed against just the occasional scene of immense violence that makes uh, that would maybe qualify Bento in my book, though there are probably better answers than that. Um. I think for me, the way that um, Bakano is the Pulp Fiction of anime is, I think there are a lot of people who think of Pulp Fiction, especially like within kind of our generation, mm-hmm. um, 
who saw Pulp Fiction in it, it felt like this revelation of like opened up what they what they thought of as like what a movie could be, got them into movies. Uh, this is a way that a lot of people talk about Pulp Fiction because it's it's kind of this um, you know part of this movement of like more postmodern cinema making where um, it is concerned with like the history of cinema and referencing it and also mm-hmm. trying to like upend conventions and um, uh, like play with audience expectations um, more so like Pulp Fiction is a movie that is less invested in you suspending disbelief and more invested in like showing you the structure of the film and having you think about how like films are structured and things. Um and, and that is, like, a a thing that Pulp Fiction did not invent, but it kind of... Um, these kinds of movies were being made, but Pulp Fiction was such a big hit doing mm-hmm. this that I think for a lot of people it, like, holds that um, that power. Uh, and I, I think Bacchino is a, a similar thing of being, like, uh, it is an anime that, like, a lot of people really enjoy and that I think... Uh, a lot of people view as like this, oh, I watched that and I realized that anime was not what I thought anime was from just like cultural osmosis of seeing like Sailor Moon and Dragon Ball and um, Naruto. Uh, two of those three are great. Guess which ones I think are the two of the three. <laughs> anyway, uh, I'm an old head. No, um, I like it. Your, your viewpoint of this is your, your perspective on this is a lot more... Um textural whereas mine was structural so i'm i I, yeah. I like this take this is this is a fascinating take on this i like this this is yeah this is, this is why you're fun to talk movies with <laughs> um and it, it's one of those things where like uh i i have watched a lot of anime and i've also watched a lot of like experimental films and so i watched bacchino <laughs> and i was like oh that was like fun mm-hmm. that was really fun um and i feel like i like in some ways I felt slightly bad with our, our second discussion episode that like I was just like, Oh, this is just a comedy. Yeah, um, were you were you bullied JC out of <laughs> calling Bacchino's favorite anime? Um but like and, and I, I think some of it is just um I I just seen so many other anime that for me like this was less revelatory because i've just seen the gamut of shit that anime can be mm-hmm. um and that doesn't mean that bacchino is still not like isn't doing it well and also isn't doing it in a way that i think can be um really fun and accessible for people as well um but it i think it has that similar thing of like i can sometimes be slightly jaded about pulp fiction too where i'm just like oh yeah i've seen like way weirder movies that are are pushing stuff further Mm -hmm. that happened earlier than this um and i have to like sometimes get the chip off my shoulder and be like no these are still like uh important for a reason yeah you know like i think there's like it's never i think it's always worth remembering sometimes that like um, it's not always like who was first or who was best, but sometimes the thing that gets an idea uh, planted into the seat of the public is like what what connected with a broader audience in a way that something else couldn't. And like the side effect of that, of course, so, I mean, there's two sides of that coin. Uh, one, a lot of people see that as being like, well, this is the first this this is the best. This is the first time I've seen it. Ergo, it's the first time it's happened. And it's like, well, no, it's not. But the other side of that coin is like people having that moment but also like um following those roots down into the dirt of figuring out like 
well, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're telling me that Tarantino liked these movies and these movies informed his work. And then you watch those and that can take you down like, that can take you down like the, the root of like um, a bit more kind of like sophisticated stuff. And like, um, that's like, like I said, those are the two sides of the coin of something like that hitting the mainstream in that sort of way is like, it really can open the door for a lot of people who may have had a hard time finding um, an accessibility point, which now that I speak saying this out loud, this does actually loop back around to our conversation in the first episode in which uh, we talked about our background with Bacano. And I discussed about how, like, you know, like uh, I did not have a history or an interest in anime before college. And Bacano is probably like one of the like four or five formative shows for me that um, made me reconsider what an anime could be and made me a lot more open minded to seeing uh, what could be done and what has been done. And like, um, I know maybe maybe that that is I mean there's no denying that like that nostalgia plays a large part in making Bacchano one of my favorites still to this day but like um yeah the the impact something like that can have uh regardless of like the quality or the uh role of the original work like I think I think the uh ripple effects of that are sometimes a little bit more um important than the impact point if if that makes sense yeah um, I mean, looking ahead to two weeks from now, the next episode, the the intro to Serial Experiments Lane, I think on that intro episode is where I talk about, like, when I first watched Lane in, you know, early high school, I was like, holy shit, like, this is doing, this is doing so much. And it felt like um, this was just like, to me, it felt like it was inventing this stuff whole cloth or like I'd never seen anything like that before. And now I've just seen a shit ton of experimental Japanese cinema mm-hmm. um, where I go and I watch it now and I'm like, oh, this is just like in dialogue with what was happening in like V cinema spaces uh, at the same time. Um, you know, the the one like reference point I had when I first watched Lane was like, oh, the end of Evangelion. Um it's doing some somewhat similar stuff there. Uh, and now I look at the end of Evangelion, not the movie, the, the end of the show. Um, and I'm like, oh, yeah, other stuff has, like, done it. Like, mm-hmm. what's happening in both the end of the show as well as the movie end of Evangelion is stuff that, like, has its roots in experimental Japanese cinema. Um, and so some of it is just that, that point of perspective. But also I think the, these things can be this, like... Uh, almost like watershed moment of a work where um, it, it is able to come at that time and it is able to like build off of what's come before, but then situate it in a way where people can, can latch onto it a little bit more or where it can kind of um, get that wider popularity where um, still most people in the West are not watching Terry Shuji films. They're fucking incredible. I love them. Uh, they've deeply informed a lot of stuff, uh, including like Utena. Um, Utena pulls extremely heavily from Terry Shuji. Um, a lot of anime, I think actually has some reference point in some of the experimental stuff he was doing as well as a lot of his contemporaries. Um, yeah. Like the, the kind of those battle scenes in Utena, like the repetition and the, um like yeah the way that narrative is like bent around them um yes. and then like the like the anti-climaxes and stuff yeah um and a lot of this stuff like uh Utena in particular has like even really direct so you know how um at some point connor you should watch pastoral to die in the country um 
but like the hands pointing that appear on screen in Utena are actually a very direct reference to pastoral. Um, that hand appears in pastoral as signs that like occupy in kind of uh, unusual space the the like frame of the film. Um, mm. there, there's like a lot of the way that Utena frames things that are very similar to stuff that uh, Teriyama Shuji did. Um, and but also just like the way that they are experimenting a, a lot of uh, anime that was kind of my, my entry point into a lot of Japanese cinema. Um, the more I've watched also it, for, the more I'm just like, this is for, so, for some reason I was imagining uh, Seijun Suzuki uh, and not uh, Shuji Teriyama when you were talking. So, Oh yeah. Sorry about that. I was like, yeah, I could see that. Um, no. Okay. Yeah. I was like responding based on the, uh, something completely other <laughs> than what you were talking about. Yeah. Um, but yes, um, no, I, I will, I will watch that. I'll put that on the list. Yeah. But yeah. Um, uh, Suzuki Seijun also clearly has had like influence on, um, anime stuff as well. So, um, but yeah. And I, so in that way, I do think Bakano is the pulp fiction of anime. Um, <laughs> yeah. You could also say like, I mean, I think that's a good a good tack to take, like basing it on how it is like received. Um, yeah, and I, I think guess if it, I was to do one that I think is even more this, it would be Evangelion. I think um, Evangelion is like the big introduction a lot of people have mm-hmm. to like what anime can be. Um, I was gonna say Cowboy Bebop. Um, oh shit! I think that's, you know, that's enough not a bad of an overlap between like. Yeah being an introduction that uh like gets people engaged with like the art interested in the artistry of the form um while also having enough like stylistic elements um that are like shared or uh, all have the same like stylistic interests um that it has like you know spiritually it's kind of the same um that's kind of like a you know a low hanging fruit answer. I feel like, but no, I mean that's a good I, I, one. I, yeah, I think that that's what jumps out for me. Like after after we we've now discussed it for for a few minutes. I mean, like, um, like I said, if we've had a textural answer, a structural answer. I feel like that's the cultural answer, and I would I could absolutely agree with that one. Yeah. Uh, do we want to move on to the last question from yeah. the second email? Um, so he says, make a Hollywood cast adaptation of Bacchino, uh, but only with MCU actors. I think uh, we're supposed to be like kind of doing an MCU Bacchino movie. <sighs> okay. I do. I do have a this list. This is specifically based on the, the Tom Holland stuff. All right. Uh, I do have a list the... of characters up in front of me so I can make sure I have names. Uh, hmm. Okay. Okay. I Um, I googled MCU actors. So yeah, me too. I have the like I I did the exact same thing. Yeah. Um. So one thing is, um, I feel like for a movie, for the first movie, like we have to, I want us to pitch the first movie of this. Obviously, it's going to expand into more movies, and so I think, like, it's not going to have every single character in here. I don't want us to just run down the list of guys and try and do casting for all of them. Mm-hmm. I want us to try and pitch like, what is the first movie of this new franchise that we're trying to do in the MCU vein? That's going to be Bacchino, but for a Western audience. Um, 
what do we want as like maybe the the starting sort of group of characters? Uh, uh, I, Chadwick Boseman as Miza. <laughs> I mean, of course, okay. that's not possible right now. R.A.P. But um, yeah, you know, that's that's. I think that's a good starting point. Yeah, I'm leaning towards doing something that's going to be like kind of uh, Fero-centric. I was about to say, like, I think you would want to start with Fero because, I mean, they say it in the show itself. Fero is the most MCU. I mean, he's the most main character-ish, and it's like, he kind of is. He has really straightforward goals. He has a a straightforward goal. He wants to join the Mafia. He has a mentor um, in the form of Misa. He has has a girlfriend in the form of um, Ennis. Uh, he goes through an arc of like not he he enters the world not knowing how it works he leaves it knowing how it works uh, I mean these are pretty much all the parts you need for most of like the Marvel movies right here honestly like he's he's normal person who enters in the space and leaves it seeing the world as it is and I guess maybe takes off his hat at the end and says I'm Iron Man everybody's like oh my gosh was Fear the whole time uh he's the, yeah he's a he's a good protagonist in this case that's why I would start it. <laughs> Who who are we having play Firo? Is it just <sighs> obvious Chris Evans? Uh, yeah. Only okay, Chris Evans. Only if we're doing it Captain America style, and we can presume in the Mar in the live action movie version of this, at some point Firo will get jacked. But at this point in the movie, it is Chris Evans' head uh, composited onto a little guy's body. I will okay. accept it. In speaking that way. of that, speaking of that. Cheslaw Meyer, Benedict Cumberbatch. Eh? <laughs> eh? <laughs> um, Bed CGI like Benedict Cumberbatch in CGI, like de-aged in CGI as Cheslaw Meyer. Hello, hello there. I want you to kill all the people <laughs> in that car for me. <laughs> um, I think that Isaac and Miria are Chris Hemsworth and Brie Larson. That's it. Okay, cool. Okay. I was thinking, because at first I want to say maybe Paul Rudd for Isaac, because he could do the kind of like aloofness of oh, passing yeah. in and out and being yeah. like clueless. But the thing is, is like, I would want it to be like two actors who could do funny and also could do funny off each other. And I could see that way more with um, Chris Hemsworth and Brie Larson than I could like Paul Rudd and Brie Larson. Like, that's it. That's it right there. I think I think we are saving, obviously not going to show up in the first movie, but we are saving Paul Rudd for Elmer. Mm, yes. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Yes, that yeah, is absolutely. it. That is it. Absolutely. <laughs> that is um, absolutely it. Um, who are we doing okay. for Ennis? Uh, Ennis, I think Elizabeth Olsen would be a good Ennis. Probably. I could also see Natalie Portman. I would want. I feel like you, I would want she Natalie could do. Yeah. As, I'd want Natalie Portman as a niece, though. I think Natalie Portman would do niece well. Oh yeah. Yeah, I agree for sure. Um. um okay. Um. Who's the Graham Specter? <laughs> shows up at uh, showing who, which of course Graham Specter would show face? up after Wilkie. the credits. <laughs> what? Uh, Tom Hiddleston. Huddleston. Is that Loki? Uh, Tom. Uh, now, Tom see, Hiddleston. Yeah, but yeah. I like, now you're making me forget Tom Hiddleston. Oh, see, that could be good. As, but I feel as, like as Graham, but like imagine though, I think Tom Hiddleston would also make a good Claire though. Yeah, he would. Now that I'm thinking about it. Um, um, yeah, yeah. Let's let's make 
Oh my god! I think how do you say? I think, what is I think his Tom name? Hiddleston is a better Claire. I think is I it think, Tom Hiddleston or Tom Huddleston? <laughs> we should huddle look up Hiddle Hiddleston. Okay, with an Hiddleston. I. Uh, yeah, Tom Hiddleston is Claire. Fuck! Okay. I just realized that I think uh, Chris Pratt needs to be um needs to be uh what's his face the wrench guy or I just blanked it. I think I just said it. Graham Spector. Yeah, Graham Spector. Yeah. I think Chris yeah. Pratt needs to be Graham Spector. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, that's good. Um. That leaves Robert Downey Jr. as Jacuzzi Spock. <laughs> oh my god. Wait, wait, wait. Okay, 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 okay. Wait, wait, wait. Would um Dave Bautista be one of the... Du- would he be like... Would Dave Bautista be a better Donnie? Or a better... uh Or a better uh Lad Russo? Maybe Donnie? Like, just like this big gentle giant played by Dave Bautista? Yeah. I yeah. like that better. Um, um, we do need to figure out a Lad. It's voice of Vin Diesel. Yeah. <laughs> voice of Vin Diesel on a CG ladder, so <laughs> voice of Vin Diesel. Yeah. Um, how how do you I, feel about this? Let me just pitch you on something. All right. Okay. For a lad, Oscar Isaac. Uh uh-huh. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah. I guess Oscar yeah, Isaac is an MCU. Yeah. He's in this list of MCU actors. I, yeah, I I didn't even think about like the whole expanded. I'd like to see it, yeah. but I feel like he would play it in a way that you wouldn't expect him to, and it would kind of maybe be better than the source material. Like he'd be he'd be one of the actors in yeah, the crew we can't that's bringing. That. He's like too good for the movie, and he brings his A game in a really weird way, and then he just leaves it, and it's like, oh shoot, we burned him off. Like the same thing he did with like Michael B. Jordan, where it's like. Shoot, did we just accidentally get rid of like our ace in the hole in a single movie? <laughs> Can we do uh Do you think that Paul Rudd would work as lad? Maybe. Oh wait, no, I think Paul Rudd this would, have would to be, be an int- I think Paul Rudd had to be like the dude from the Daily Days who's like uh trying to figure it out. Oh yeah, yeah. I just don't see Mark Ruffalo as lad. I know he's like the the obvious like one of the obvious ones remaining. Uh Mark Ruffalo could be Zillard, I think. <sighs> oh, but Oscar Maybe. Isaac could also be a nice Zillard too. Like imagine Oscar mm. Isaac is Zillard. Os- yeah, definitely that works. Um, or I mean this is I know kind of playing to type, but Anthony Hopkins is Zillard. Makes a lot of sense. I mean yeah. What is the MCU about if not playing to type anywhere and everywhere they can? <laughs> yes. God, this um, list is is ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, the MCU is legally every movie now, so by nature, every actor's <laughs> in it. <laughs> um. Okay, I mean, with with uh, Lad, you have to do something like uh, kind of out of left field. To get people, to get people like engaged, yeah. What about who did we say was Miria? Brie Larson. Brie Larson. Yeah. Okay. Natalie Portman's Shanae. What about like? Let's just like. Let's throw Kate Blanchett in there as Lad. Just like completely like re like 
reconceptualize this character. You know, I did forget that J.K. Simmons is technically in the uh, MCU now. We gotta put him somewhere. <laughs> well, actually, no, he would just be the dude in charge of the Daily Days. That just writes itself. Yeah, that is a tough one. I don't know. Um, I just don't see, like, any of these... I, I just don't see any of them really nailing it. Yeah, honestly, Paul Rudd is still feels like the best to me. Yeah, Paul Rudd, Paul Rudd could maybe do it. Um, I mean, we also do have like, Alfred Molina on the table. Alfred Molina's take on Lad would also be interesting. Is Nicolas Cage in the MCU yet? No, That's who we he need. is not. He is not. Someone he bring us go- Nicolas Cage. He was Ghost Rider before <laughs> the MCU, so he's not in there. Yeah. All right. Well, we're we're. This is this is where we get him in. <laughs> um. Benedict Cumberbatch is Dallas Genoard. <laughs> Everybody just wants to patch his face in. <laughs> yeah. No, I feel like Dallas is... Yeah, and then um, Luck is Tom Holland. Yeah. Um. Oh, Rachel. I, f- I, f- I, feel oh, like, yeah. I feel like we've got... We've cast a lot of this. Yeah, uh, Zendaya is Rachel. <laughs> yeah. 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 That makes sense. Um I feel I feel like we've got it. We we've got a good we can make a, a first movie out of this. Yeah, know? for sure. For sure. We've got we've got to we figure out in this. It's perfect. We just need Wait, what, wait, once wait, we wait, get... wait. Most important character, Ronnie. Who's playing okay. Ronnie? Mmm. <laughs> I mean, Are we getting Robert Downey Jr. in to be wait, Ronnie? Wait. Okay, here's the big question. In this <laughs> first movie, Robert Downey Jr. is Jacuzzi Splat. In this first movie, <laughs> do we see Ronnie's face or is it voice only? I think it's voice only. If it's voice only, it's gotta be Willem Dafoe. Oh, yeah. Okay. Because we said we said uh, yeah, I can. Because like we said, uh, Paul Rudd. We said Paul Rudd is uh is what's his face? The do we see Paul Rudd as the Australian dude? Um. Oh yeah, were we saving Paul Rudd to be we've, Elmer? We've like double, Elmer, double, yeah. Double, yeah. Triple yeah. Cast. yeah. Okay. We've yeah, double like, cast Paul Rudd at this point. Like I could totally see like Paul Rudd as Elmer, like talking to Willem Dafoe as Ronnie, and just being Which, like, "Oh, I like, I like your spirit, kid." He's like, "Well, I just want one thing." Like I could, I could and, see that. I could see that. And. In our in our Bacchano, in our like MCU version of Bacchano, we just go like full on Peter Sellers with Paul Red. We just have Paul, <laughs> cast Paul Red like in four different roles. Um, we just go heavy, heavy Paul Red. I could also see Ronner, uh, Ronnie being played by Tilda Swinton. Just a very yeah. different direction, but I think it would work. <laughs> Oh, that surely that will go over well. <laughs> um, Tota Swinton would also be a good Zillard. Yeah, I feel like any of the like older immortals. She's a good a good choice for that. Yeah. Uh, um. Yeah, Tota Swinton is Tota Swinton could do a lot of these roles, or she'd try. At least. Wait a minute. Yeah. I, I did not Tilda see... Tilda would, would try to be Graham Spector. Hold up. I did not see Eternals. I don't Eternals. know if she'd do it. I do not but... know if I plan to see Eternals 
Blade was in that movie? <laughs> what? What? All right, okay. we can't let this devolve. We can't let this devolve into an MCU <laughs> I mean, podcast. We might need to, based on the next question we got up on the on the docket here. <laughs> we we can't. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, continuing on with the MCU. Now, I I have a proposal for Ina's question. Okay. Um, love Ina. Love Ina's questions. Uh, she didn't even send the kissing and tucking the homies because we just automatically do it now. Um, but they're, they're usually like running through the full list of guys and, uh, coming up with different answers for, for like different scenarios. Um, and we've got a a bunch of things to do. And I, I think just in the interest of time, I wonder if it'll move faster if Mm -hmm. we read through all four and then we go through the list and then like for Isaac, we just do all of them for, you know, Miria, we do all of them uh, rather than kind of running through it multiple times. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how much time that's going to save, but I, I feel like it could cause we can kind of describe the vibe of the character and then answer multiple off of that. So, okay. um, yeah. So uh, yeah. you want me to start? Um, sure. Do you want to read through I, the, I, the four? I, I, in other words, I, I want to start. Okay. Um, yeah. So, uh, the, the four questions, uh, I'll just, I'm just going to read straight through them. Question one, how do the members of the cast of Bacchino feel about the MCU? MCU stands for Marvel Cinematic Universe, (laughs) an American media franchise and shared universe centered on a series of superhero films produced by Marvel Studios based on Marvel comic books. Question mark. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you for the clarity, Ina. Question two. Um. Well, she she knows that sometimes I need I need definitions, so yeah. I do appreciate the consideration. Um, um, you you don't know how to log online most days, um, yeah. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. I've I I saw um, I saw Sam Raimi's Spider Man. Does that count? Uh, <laughs> um, the first one. I know I yeah. know there's two. I didn't I didn't see. I haven't seen the second one, but I know there's two, right? Spider-Man 2 yeah. is a very good two, movie. There are definitely two. two. Two Sam Raimi Spider-Mans? Yeah, there are two. Okay. That's what I thought. There I just was trying two. to decide if there was only one or if there was two. I heard there was a second one. Yeah, there is a second one. Okay. Cool. <laughs> um, you know, I just don't think anyone could like really play that, couldn't nail that role as well as Tobey Maguire so. is doing. As Bully Maguire, they probably have they probably have a really hard time finding someone who would be like a good yeah no, no man nobody they is probably tiny, have to try multiple times like nobody is tiny or British you know like that's just not an option <laughs> yeah I don't think they I don't think that would work they'd like they'd try they'd have to try a few times um question two <laughs> yeah question two um if the cast of Bakken was looking forward to picking up some good stuff from the Barnes & Noble semi-annual sales for their Aero video and Criterion collections, but cash was a little a little tight, and they realized that they got paid mere hours after these famously generous sales ended. How do you think they would react? Asking for a friend. In all caps. Um, yeah, three question marks. Um, question three. Which members of the cast of Bacchino do you think could do the cup song, cup thing, where you stack and unstack the cups while you sing from Pitch Perfect? I understand that if you weren't the precise age of high school that I was when this movie came out, you might not know what the fuck I'm talking about. <laughs> so please skip to 28 seconds in this YouTube video if you got it. 
Um, I don't know what the fuck she's talking about here. So yeah, I am. I am also going to need to. Uh, I am doing it. Should we do I'm a Should it. we do a countdown? Do we want to get to the twenty eight seconds, or do we want to just start from the beginning of the video? Yeah, tw- let's get to the twenty eight seconds. Okay. So I, I'm mm-hmm. there. Right, I'm also know. there. Okay. okay, we're we're gonna do a countdown to do it. I'll like pipe in the audio if I remember. Yeah, hold um, on. Let me make sure I got the audio count on my headset seconds. here. Okay, cool. Uh, okay. Uh, I'll make a little note here so I'll remember. All right. Uh, I'll do the countdown. Three, two, one, go. <clears throat> I've okay, seen people I've do this, and now yeah, I know I've why. Yeah, people do this. I got my ticket for the long way round. Two bottles of whiskey for the way. And I sure would like some sweet company. And I'm leaving tomorrow, what do you say? When I'm gone. Man, I forgot how much people when in college were, like, obsessed okay. with this movie. You're gonna I'm good. Miss me when I'm um, gone. Yeah. The shot where they, like, cut back to, like, the... The like whatever people she's trying to impress, and they're like so moved. <laughs> uh, um, oh, except this one, this one girl here. She's unsure. No, I haven't. I, I haven't. I haven't seen that girl because I stopped it. Oh. Um, um, I, I already knew about this. Whoops. I'm like deleting the. Link I think right I've now. seen this. Like as soon as I saw it, I knew the the sequence. I think I've seen this movie before. Um. I have just seen so many fucking movies in my life. So, so what? Yeah, I know like the song, you know, yeah. I've heard people like do the, and I, the I've song. seen people do this like cup thing before. Yeah. So were there just like high schoolers just like doing this nonstop in the hallways where this movie was out? Cause I pretty sure I was in college and pitch perfect was a thing. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like All I've right. only like occasionally seen it as like, Oh, some people on YouTube did it back in the day or something, you know? Um, yeah. I feel I've I've heard the song like divorced from the like movie clip and like the high schoolers like doing it in, in the hallway or whatever. Yeah. So I knew that like I knew the cup like cup song. Yeah. Uh, well, okay. So, yeah. That yeah. Was which one? Thing. Which Bacano character or what members of the Bacano cast would be able to do that? Right. Got um, it. Okay. Question four. Please, thanks. Thanks for the question, Ina. Uh, yeah. Question four. Please tell me what place every member of Bacano would eat at, limiting yourself specifically to the kinds of food you find in mall food courts. Thank you. Yeah, um, I, like I like that. I like that. Yeah, yeah. These, yeah. Yeah, these, these <clears throat> questions to, tend to have a lot of legs. And um, yeah, in the so I've done the the like so that we can just quickly reference as we mm-hmm. run through the list of guys. I've done the shortened versions, which I'll just say. Um, for for listeners how i've written it out so the first one that we're going to answer which was not one that ina sent this time but um she usually sends it and it's just become a regular part of her question buckets now which is uh kiss and or tuck the homies goodnight question mark uh so would they kiss and or tuck the homies goodnight um number two mcu feelings question mark (laughs) <laughs> number three reacting to realizing they won't have money for the arrow and criterion sale on bnn question mark and then uh four could do the cup song thing question mark and then five is food court selections question mark so 
Um, I have a list here of guys I wanted to do on the podcast. If there's any that uh, you want to add or you feel like we should just remove. I don't know if I'm going to have anything to say about this person. Um, uh, I could say something about all of these. I could I could give a quick hint on all of these. Yeah. Uh, most of the ones that I, I left off were characters who were small enough and also like where I just didn't feel like I'd really be able to generate an answer. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, you, let's, you gotta get, so you let's gotta get do it here. like, let's each person takes one. We'll go in like in sequence. Right. So like I'll do Isaac, JC, you do Myriad and then me and you do oh, Dennis. Yeah. Unless okay. like someone feels strongly, then you can pipe in. Okay. All right. So well, yeah, Isaac. I, so you start there, and then we can we can like disagree, but we'll have somebody do the initial. Okay, Isaac. Um, I think <sighs> Isaac is a little bit tricky on the kiss on the kiss Todd question. Um, but I think mm, the homies. I think maybe kiss and not tuck. Miria both. I was gonna say I one kiss is one tucks. Okay. Yeah. I mean do what 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 was your comment, Neve? Um I mean I think I think I agree with Kisses the Homies Goodnight. Um maybe does not think that does not like have the the sight to the foresight to be like this person needs to be tucked uh yeah. but does obviously kiss the homies good night um, yeah i think there um, are there are like a few people i think part of what makes this difficult is that basically both isaac and miria approach everyone as the homies <laughs> um, yeah but then also like they are going to tuck in ennis good night you know there's like a different tier yeah. that's happening there yeah, for sure. Um, MCU feelings. I feel like Isaac sees like so. There, I think there's two possible answers. I feel like Isaac like sees all of the MCU. Like Isaac likes the MCU, but then he goes yeah. out of it and is like the type of MCU person who I imagine exists, who is like very critical of it. But only, like, because they're so invested in it. They're like, oh, like, you know, like, Wanda Maximoff would never do that. Like, blah, blah, blah. Like, <laughs> I can't believe they, in MC, you know, Avengers 24, like, they made that choice with her character. Like, she would never do that based on, like, when she was in Avengers 17 and 19. Um, but also... His takes, like, he is very invested and has these opinions, but also the takes are often, like, wildly incorrect. Is like, <laughs> I think you're talking about an issue of Iron Man right now that yeah. you, like, just read. Like, literally last night I watched you reading. <laughs> yeah. Or or he doesn't watch any of them and he's in on every conversation. Like, every time oh my God. he's brought up, he, he jumps watch, in on he every He doesn't watch any of them, but he's a Marvel Wikipedia reader. So now so he does know all of them. <laughs> yeah, he's, like, half remembered, like, like, or, like, 25% remembered, like, the Marvel, like, the Marvel Films Wiki only. Uh, but is like constantly arguing with people or like posturing about it. 
Yeah. Um, realizing that he doesn't have money, uh, that's no problem. Like, you, he'll just steal it. Yeah, I was about to yeah. say, that's, that's a gimme for Esgamiria. <laughs> They'll just steal it. <laughs> yeah. Um, the cup song, uh, no. But, like, <laughs> he would just, like, do something completely different. He would just, like, like distract from the fact that he couldn't do it or get like di- or get him distracted himself and just like go off on it like total tangent um food court selections this one's a, this one's a little uh also a little tricky um definitely not like a sit down not like a uh he's really not like sitting down to eat so we're not like talking about like a Ruby Tuesday or like a, you know, rainforest cafe. Um, I don't even think of those as food court. I I think of them as like mall food. Rainforest cafe might be a stretch. No, but Rain, like Ruby Tuesdays. Ru- Ruby Tuesday is like mall part is like in the same parking lot as the mall. Rainforest cafe is definitely in the mall. Okay, um, but maybe not like in the spirit of the question. Mall food court. Um, for for like a mall food court, I think of like you go up, you order the food, and then you go sit in the like court where everybody sits, regardless of what they got. You know? Yeah. That's yeah. like the food court to me. I think Isaac is going to Subway. Because just imagine Isaac <laughs> or, at, at a Subway. And tell me that doesn't. But either way, he would still that. be in a costume like the pictures of cosplayers at like Papa John's dressed like uh, Aerith and Sephiroth. Absolutely. Um, who's next? Um, is uh, it me or JC? Uh, Maria. I, <laughs> I, I, was, I think I was next for uh, Miria, unless uh, you've got Miria on lock. Uh, no, you can do this. All right. Okay. I, so, um, like I said, I, I am of the belief that I think I think Isaac would talk, Miria would kiss. I think to any of their homies, they would play the role of... Um, mother and father regardless of their relationship to the person they just automatically go into parent mode and it's time to tuck and kiss for good night um mcu feelings so uh i definitely think isaac would be too opinionated about it um if he's not a wikipedia person i think so like i'm only going through this because miria has to be a reaction to isaac in this case right isaac is the person who as they're walking out the theater would remark marvel movies are like the modern mythology for mankind, but Miria would have a correction about it of like, I thought mythology was a mythology of mankind, and Isaac would be like, Well, yes, that is true, but Thor exists in both, so the mythology is all one of the same. Miria would be like, That totally makes sense. So like uh she would call Isaac out his bullshit, but he would find a way to connect it and she would go right along with it. So that's that's how she would feel about MCU stuff. Um Yeah, but when she's like in the movie, she's like enjoying it. Like, oh yeah, she like Isaac. Isaac does not understand what he's seeing in the movie itself. Miria understands every part of it, so she understands the movies better than Isaac does. Uh, Criterion sale, uh, same same as Isaac. If they miss it, they steal it. Even if they're even if they have the money when the sale is going on, they still steal them. But it would be a weird thing of like they would steal like I don't know. They would they would understand that the Criterion Collection exists as like a way to transfer information or something. So they would actually just steal like 
the sleeve. No, no, no. The thing that makes Criterion special is the fact that the, that the boxes themselves are works of art. Therefore, they must be great art. And so they, they conspire together to steal the sleeves from the DVDs and the Blu-rays, but not the actual movies inside. So someone would go to the Barnes and Nobles and they would just see a bunch of like discs in clear cases and they would make off with the sleeves thinking that they have uh, great, valuable art. Um, the cup song thing, Isaac couldn't do it. Miria would be able to do it, but Isaac probably would distract her from starting it so you wouldn't know that she could do it but if she started it without Isaac interrupting she would do it and would do it well um food court selection uh mirrors going straight to that Cinnabon baby they're going straight yeah, to the Cinnabon yeah, 100% they are getting their 100%. Cinnabon at the Cinnabon like there is no tomorrow <laughs> yep total totally agreed that's what I was thinking from the start yeah uh so Ennis um I don't think that she kisses or talks to the homies goodnight. I think she, like, by the... In her, like, robot learning to be human, as she's, like, learning to be human, I think she, I think what she would do first would be talk to the homies, but I don't know if she's even there yet. At least, like, as we see her at the end of the mm-hmm. series. Um, I think she could get there where she would talk to the homies. I think it'll take longer to kiss the homies goodnight. Um... Then, in terms of MCU feelings, I don't think she watches that many movies. Um, yeah. And I feel like when she does watch movies, she prefers, like, really old movies. Like, I think she likes movies from, like, the 50s. You know? Mm. She likes Humphrey Bogart. <clears throat> I was say, she she's probably enjoys a good more. Um, yeah, I don't think Ennis is interested in the, in the MCU. Yeah. Um... Reacting and realizing that she won't have the money for the Arrow and Criterion sale on Barnes and Noble, um, so I don't think she watches that many Arrow movies because they're a little bit more like culty. I think she really is in it for like the classics, but I do think she feels a pang of sadness about um, not being able to get like the Third Man on in the Criterion sale because she was looking forward to that. Um, but I think there's just like a quiet acceptance of the fate that has been dealt to her that she doesn't have the money. <laughs> You know, she's not really going to do anything about it. She's just like accepting that this is her fate, that she doesn't get to have that Blu-ray. Then uh, I do think she could do the cup song thing. Um, Yeah, but she's not going to. Yeah. I I imagine at some point in her working for Zillard, she consumed the knowledge from somebody that didn't know how to do it. So she can do it. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, in terms of, uh, food court selection, um, this one, this one's kind of hard. Um, I feel like Orange Julius. I was thinking the same thing. (laughs) Yeah. Um, like, I I think, like. And then it would just be like, Ennis, like, what are you doing? Why are you going to Orange Julius? And Ennis is just like, I don't know. I don't fucking care. (laughs) I don't know the difference. Yeah. Just so, like looks good. It's orange. <laughs> she definitely gets it with the powdered egg whites. Um, <laughs> you know, the what the, like, now? The protein powder thing. Did you not know this is a, a mix-in you can get at Orange Julius? I did not know that. <laughs> I, I feel like um. part of her fascination with Orange, Juli- orange Julius is like, that's an old school mall treat. So you only re- you really wouldn't know that unless somebody told it to you, or in the case of Bacchano, again, 
you consume the knowledge of somebody who was fucking obsessed with Orange Julius, and she maybe finds it fascinating to know, like, what was it that this person saw in this treat? I, I, I am compulsed to know. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's it for Ennis. Uh, back to you, okay. Connor. Yeah, so Furo. Um, yeah, I think Furo kisses and tucks the homies goodnight. Um, tucks the homies in goodnight. All, all the mafia um, homies. Yeah. Um, I think it's a bigger... Uh, it definitely the his, like, mafia homies, but also, like, Ennis and Isaac and Miria. Um, yeah. I think they're all, they're all in there. Um, some people are not Firo's homies. Um, so, you know, obviously there would be no kissing or talking there. Um, MCU, Firo loves the MCU. Um, he like, he loves the MCU in the way of just like, oh yeah, like I really get excited for the new MCU. Mm. He's not like, he's not out there like debating with people about it or like posturing. He's just like genuinely. He just enjoys the MCU and like fo- and the following it. Um, reacting to realizing he won't have the money for the Arrow and Criterion sale, um, I think he calls up like one of his homies and is like, "Oh, oh, well, no, it's too late." The premise of the question it's it's too late. Um, I think he's like, "Yeah, you know." I'll get it next time. It's no big. Di- it's no big thing. I'll I'll rewatch. I'll rewatch the life and death of Colonel Blimp again. <laughs> uh, that's a long movie. Uh, so, um, I still haven't watched that copy I got of uh, Brighter Summer Ashes Day. and Diamonds. Yeah, I haven't. I haven't even watched Ashes and Diamonds yet. Um, so, yeah, I think. Uh, or yeah, Brighter Summer Day. Yeah. <laughs> For more ghost divers centric fare. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, it's like, oh, I still got all my Kurosawa ones. It's no big thing. <laughs> he I'll would just, say, I'll just he rewatch would say, all the. He would say, I'll rewatch Kurosawa. all the Kurosawas. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I watched Yojimbo recently, but I don't know if I've ever seen Sanjiro. <laughs> <laughs> A bodyguard, huh? That, that's the life of me. <laughs> um, Cup song, yeah, yeah, he could he could do the cup song. Uh, that was the test um, he had to do to get into the mafia in the first place. So yeah, he could. Do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he he just like crushes it. Um, Miza showed him how. <laughs> yeah, food court selections. Um, hey, is that a Dippin' Dots over there? <laughs> <laughs> I freaking love Dippin' Dots, Miza. <laughs> I don't see what you see in those things, Fira. <laughs> what do you mean? They're 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 small and they taste good, and it's just how it's can like, you not like them? Wouldn't Miza? you rather just have a full ice cream cone? It's night and I sense from the McDonald's. Miza, there's some things you just don't understand. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, it's the so ice cream of the future. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Firo is bolting straight for the Dippin' Dots. Uh, and I don't know, maybe maybe Jacuzzi Splat is like 
is close behind <laughs> on that one. Um, but yeah, to, to you, to you, JC. All right. Um, kiss and tuck the homies goodnight. Uh, he wants to, and maybe he can, but when he does it, he starts apologizing a lot, and it's just kind of like, this don't, this doesn't mean, it's just a gesture of goodwill, you're just my homie, I, I swear I don't think anything more of this, I just want to make sure you get a good night's sleep, that's all, that's all I'm doing, like, he would, he would have a million caveats, but he would still do it. Um, MCU feelings? Um, I think, I think he probably... I think he's probably a big fan of most movies, but not because he actually likes going to the movies. But as a bomb expert, he likes see he it's game recognized game. He just loves seeing the craft at work and he loves when there's a good actual explosion in MC movie. But he is probably one of those people that complains that uh, there's too much CG in the movies and it's robbing them of their jobs because they could be supplying uh, these fine filmmakers with actual explosives if they were actually willing to pay a reasonable <laughs> price. Um Dang, that one got a little loaded there for a second. Um, very- no, I, I think <laughs> I, I think I think that's Nisa's response. I think Jacuzzi fi- lo- like loves the MCU and finds MCU films deeply meaningful. Oh, you know what? Yeah, like Jacuzzi's probably like I understand why they probably don't want to hire people like us. They only have they got so many movies to make. They can't hire explosives for all of them. And Nisa's like Jacuzzi. It would cost nothing to do that. You know how much it would cost to hire us to do that. They can afford it. It's Disney. Jacuzzi. Uh, that area, Arrow and Criterion sale. Um, they probably Jacuzzi would, doesn't watch the Jacuzzi. Jacuzzi doesn't watch Criterion Collection. Like Jacuzzi probably doesn't watch them, but his homies probably do, and he helps to stage a a. He, they they try to heist and um. They try to literally get it off a falling truck if you catch my drift. Like they're 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 waiting behind the Barnes and Noble when the shipment comes in for Criterion, and they st- he steals it not because he wants to watch it, but because he knows how much uh, his buddies do, and he wants to make sure that they have copies to enjoy. Um, cup song thing, absolutely not. Um, maybe if you got him worked up enough, he would do it just out of sheer force of will. But again, he would break down crying and would apologize the entire time because he would keep messing it up. And he would say, like, even though this doesn't, this doesn't, even though I'm weak in this way, I'm strong in other ways. So he would make a whole thing out of it, but push him enough, he could do the cup thing. Um, food court selection? Um, I think my boy is going to Sparrow. I think he goes to Sparrow. Just, yeah. it's, it's, it's easy, but it brings him comfort, and it's a little joy that makes him happy. And Nice probably thinks it's really cute that he likes this shitty pizza, but Jacuzzi still eats it anyway because it just makes him happy. Um, for Nice Hollystone, um, I don't think she normally kisses and talks to the homies goodnight, but like sometimes she'll kiss the homies goodnight. Not like all the time. But there, sometimes the the mood the mood will fancy her. She mm. will, you know, the mood yeah. will strike her. Um, uh, MCU feelings. Um, I think we already kind of covered this. I think I agree that, uh, like, she just doesn't think that there's the craft there that she wants mm-hmm. to see when she goes to see a movie. Um, and I and I actually think, uh, like. She has this dichotomy when it comes to movies that she watches where um, 
she really likes like extreme practical effect action movies, especially action movies. I um I think more than like horror or things like that. Um she just likes like watching old kung fu movies. She loves police um, story. Yeah, she loves Police Story 2, especially because there's so many fucking explosions in it. <laughs> um, one of her favorite movies of all time. But then I think also she really likes, like, extremely sappy romance movies. Mm, she um, Yeah. Um, and I, I think that she is sad when she realizes that she won't have the money for the Arrow and Criterion sale. Um, and that is why Jacuzzi Spot is, like, stealing. <laughs> from the Barnes and Noble to mm, get her yeah. the movies. Um, then uh, the cup song thing. Um, I don't think she could just instantly do it, but I think she could practice and, and get there. Like if she wanted to do it, she would practice. She'd be able to do it. Um, and then uh, food court selection. I think Panda Express. Oh, I was going to say <laughs> hot dog on a stick. Niece, niece is like a corn dog person yeah or like a pretzel dog um i can i can kind of see that but i think that i think she has a certain like appreciation of the fortune cookie Mm. yeah yes (laughs) um but also i feel like gravitates more towards the like egg rolls and things uh, like definitely getting the egg rolls, definitely getting the the like fried wontons, you know. Yeah. Um, just something nice and crispy and fried. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah yeah. She would like that. She's like extra crispy on the yeah on the. Can egg you roll, can you take the ones that you just like fried and put them back in for just a little bit longer? <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know when an egg roll goes from being like yellow to brown, I want that good brown on there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Shanae, uh, oh, kiss or tuck? No, I think uh, Huey, no. Only, only Huey, only Huey. Yeah, true. Is he? Yeah, I guess. I'm just gonna say Huey is like not the homies. The homies <laughs> is like everyone else, you know. Kiss and tuck. Yeah. I don't know. It's kind of an Ennis situation. I don't think she's quite as far along as Ennis, even. Um, but getting there, maybe, um, MCU, I don't think Shanae is interested in the MCU. No. Um, she's got other things on her mind. Um, I do think that she likes, I think she likes like old black and white films. Yeah. Um, Especially French. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think she likes really intense, like dramas as well mm-hmm. um it's like old like you know black and white dramas um i think i think shanae goes for like some nicholas ray um, oh yeah yeah she um, loves in a lonely place yeah uh i i think that's like i think that's her jam so i think she is truly sad when she like doesn't have money um, cause she's like rewatched. She also does not have many. She has like one or two films and she's rewatched them like so many times. Um, that like, I think she's sad cause she, she like really wants to get more. Um, 
could she do the cup song? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, I think she could do it pretty easily. Um, food court selections. I'm like, I'm entertained by how hard the food court is for the cast of Bacchino. Yeah. Um, it's just so, like, it's so tough to, like, to match them up, to imagine them, like, at a food court I, choosing. I think I do have an answer for this one if, if you're if you're struggling with it, actually. Yeah, no, go for it. Uh, I think she goes to the candy store and gets herself self-serve, like, uh, chocolate raisins, but specifically, like, dark chocolate and <laughs> carob. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, I think yeah. Shanae would, would, like like the candy store at the mall. Um, that would be one of those things where you'd see like that, that spark of life where no, she thought, would just like have the, the exuberance. Oh, it's not even a joy thing. Like I said, specifically dark chocolate and carob covered raisins. It's all business, but like she enjoys it and it keeps her going without weighing her down. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Well, well that, yeah, that aspect too. I can see that. Um, yeah, so Chess. Yeah, Chesla. Um Chesla, um when we meet him, he would not kiss and or tuck. Um by the end of the show, he has a zeal for life where I think he would start to do that and as part of his kind of like well I don't know. That's a thing. That represents a high level of trust, and that's something that Chesla does not have in his life. He does not have trust, so actually I don't think he would. Maybe one day he'll come to do it, but uh, he has a lot of trust issues to get over first, honestly. Um, MCU, uh, he's one of those people that always is saying, like, you know these movies are made for kids, right? Like, he's one of those guys. <laughs> yes, definitely. Yeah. yeah, he hates it, but, like, also because, like, he wants to like it. But he doesn't feel like he yeah. can. Uh, reacting to realizing they won't have money for the air on Criterion sale on Barnes & Noble. Um, I don't think Chaz... Well... No, Chaz wouldn't care about Arrow. He might care about Criterion, but the thing is, is that um, he knows he couldn't do it because a a lot of the movies in Criterion are admittedly rated R, so he would not be able to do it. Um, he would not outright try to steal them the same way Isaac and Miriam would, but um, he would probably feign the uh, lost child shtick in the Barnes Nobles, uh, get someone's attention, and while they have their back turned trying to help them, he would pocket uh, whatever movies they have from their bag. So he would pickpocket from whatever other people have actually bought, knowing that he can't, even if he had the money. Um, the cup song thing? Hmm. Um, I think he would think he could do it, but then he would start, it would become clear that he actually doesn't know how to do it, and that would, like, blow his cover. Like... He could not fake his way through it, despite the fact that he thinks he could do it. And food court selection. I think I, I think Chesla refuses to eat at the food court. Yeah, I was about to say, like, he again, he probably kind of plays like the this is baby stuff kind of card. And he would probably uh, he again, he probably would use the food court as an excuse to maybe try to, like, pickpocket money so we can actually leave and go to, like, the steakhouse that's across the street and get like a much more expensive meal there. Mm. But also some of it is that he's a little bit picky. <laughs> yeah. He has all, he, yeah. he, he is also picky. He, he's got the grown up version of I'll only eat Mac and cheese and, and chicken nuggets, except for grown up tastes. Yeah. I will only eat the finest steak. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
but it has to also, become the shape of a dinosaur. <laughs> I mean, honestly, um, I'm gonna be honest. I, I, I want that. Give me a steak in the shape of a dinosaur. I would eat that. <laughs> um. So I'm gonna propose that we only go to Claire. Because we're gonna run out of food court <laughs> options. The food court. I mean, it's closing. okay if we double back on some. Yeah, that's true. Um, but we can also people can decide if like you get one and you're like, I just don't have anything for this, or I'm not that interested. Uh, and someone else could pick it up, or we could just move on. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Yeah. But I did try to like roughly order it where we've got uh, ones that I felt like we would have more to say towards the top. Um, yeah. So, uh, I have Miza Avaro. Mm-hmm. Um, I think talks to the homies goodnight. I don't think kisses. I think like at the very beginning on the boat would kiss the homies goodnight. But I think after what happened on the boat has like a certain distance about him where he's not uh, going to kiss the homies goodnight. I think he would wait till they're asleep though. He's absolutely like come and tuck you in while you're sleeping, Tucker. Yes. Yeah. Agreed. <laughs> um, then MCU feelings. Um, I think he's just kind of indifferent to it. Yeah. Um, like I, I think he has this like perspective of like, this is, I've just seen the cycles of cinema come and go. Like this is going <laughs> to pass too. There'll be a time when like the MCU is done. This is just what Hollywood is doing right now. Like for a while there was the Hayes code, you know, for a while there was this like new Hollywood that like followed after French new wave and stuff. It's just, this is what, that's what these movies are right now. But like when, when somebody tells them there's too many of them, he's the guy that reminds them, you know, we used to have too many Westerns too, but times changed. Yeah, he's, like, warmly indifferent. Yeah. Um, I don't think he feels too bad when he realizes he doesn't have money for the Arrow and Criterion sale. Um, I think he does really appreciate, like, especially... Both of the... I think Arrow and Criterion are both good for having lots of bonus features, but I think he cares a lot more about the bonus features than the actual movie. Mm-hmm. Um, he's like, I've... I, anything that he's going to buy, he's seen the movie before, And, um, it's not even necessarily his like favorite movie. He just wants to like see the bonus stuff and, and, um, learn more about it, uh, as just kind of like a, an idol, like, oh yeah, I just, I I will pick that one up because I can like the bonuses features sound interesting. Like that interview or whatever. I'm sure that would be interesting to watch. Um, and definitely has like watched some of the bonus features multiple times. Um, but very rarely watches the actual movies. But I think when he realizes he doesn't have money for the sale, he's like, it's okay. Another sale will come along. Um, <laughs> I if I really need to, all. I will just buy it full price. Like if I really want it, I, I will buy it full price. So um, then um, the cup song thing, um, I think he could do it. I don't know how often <laughs> he would do it, but I think he could get him drunk enough and he'll do it. Yeah. Um, and then food court selections. Uh, this one's really tough. Yeah. Um, I think, I think Liza is like a, is like an, uh, Auntie Anne's, like a, a pretzel guy. Yeah. Um, yeah. It probably reminds him of like, um, like the old world or something. It's probably like an old world pleasure for him to have a pretzel specifically. Yes. He specifically will get mustard with the pretzel. He doesn't want mm-hmm. cheese. Um, he wants mustard with the pretzel. Um, 
Yeah, I think I think that's good. Um, Connor, you have the the uh, the honor. Of yeah, the honor of doing lad. Um, lad, no, he definitely does not kiss or touch the homies in good night. If he does, um, you know you're not waking up the next morning. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, you should be very concerned. Yeah, if he's he does the kiss of death. Good night. Sometimes, but that is that's not really for homies. <laughs> Yeah, and there's not there's no tuck after that one. Yeah. Um, MCU feelings. Um I think Lad is just like I could kill all of these idiots, <laughs> like blah blah blah. You know, they're all weak and like it gets frustrated when when like people don't die or like brought back to life or whatever. Um like um. he he's just frustrated that like the outcomes are not more just like everyone's dying i i do think that he really enjoys the trope uh in a lot of these kind of movies where um obviously when the person is down and it seems like they're gonna lose and all hope is lost they're gonna win and of course the villain who's like gloating and thinks that they've won is going to die Mm. um he does always enjoy that moment yeah but i i think overall he gets really annoyed with stuff in them I feel because like then once the the hero has won, he's like, well, then why isn't anyone killing him? Yeah, I was about to say, like, I don't think he likes those moments because the hero succeeds over the villain. He just likes seeing somebody who is certain that they've won get their due. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good point. He he does yeah. like the, the narrative arcs where it's like they start out with the heroes being like confident that they're safe. And oh, then like sh- some true. like villain comes in. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, the one movie he likes isn't even MCU. He probably loves Venom. He probably thinks Venom is the best. <laughs> yeah. Um, reacting to realizing that they that he won't have money. Um, I mean, I think he just kills everyone instead <laughs> to entertain himself. Um, could do the cup song thing. You know, I don't think he can. But he'll never admit it. I just... To, to skip back to the Barnes & Noble thing, I just had this image in my head of the, like, <laughs> salespeople at Barnes & Noble being, like, him, like, threatening, like, holding, like, about to kill them and being like, you can just take the DVDs, it's fine. And then he's just like, it's not even about the DVDs anymore. <laughs> 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 Kills them and doesn't take the... Doesn't take the DVDs. Or you lyrics. you think that just, just because yeah. these DVDs aren't fifty percent off, I'm not gonna buy them. I'm just gonna walk away, and it makes you feel good thinking I'm not gonna buy it, huh? You probably think that makes you feel safe that you won't see me again for six more months, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's just like, oh, like after killing all of these people, like any movie I watch would just be like a letdown. It wouldn't be as good. <laughs> yeah. Um. Food court food selections. Court. Lad eats a Chick Fil A. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he probably does it, but I imagine he probably like he probably ruffles up the people who work there first. <laughs> Lad Lad is like very insistent that Chick Fil A is the only place that he like eats at. <laughs> he, he just does. like. When they are closed on Sundays, he always forgets that they're closed on Sundays and gets really mad at it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's it. There you go. Yeah. I, I just see, like, when Lad, like, 
you know, we don't think about Lad eating because he's just like killing people all the time. But like, if you really think about like, imagine him like going to a restaurant and eating somewhere, it's Chick Fil A. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, so I get the I get the honor of doing Graham Spector, and um, yeah, I think he would kiss. I think he would kiss and tuck his homies good night, and I think they'd be very confused by the gesture. Especially since um, he would probably go on talking after he's done that, and they wouldn't actually be able to go to sleep. Uh, MCU <laughs> yeah. feelings? Um, I don't know whether or not he enjoys them, but I'll tell you one thing. Graham Spector is 110% on r slash Thanos was right. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. I didn't know that was a subreddit, but um, yeah. He, yeah, he's on that one. Agreed. <laughs> yeah, he is absolutely on that side of it. And he makes a point of letting people know that he's on that side of that. Um, Arrow and Criterion sale? Um, so, I, okay, so I think he makes a whole thing out of this. Like, obviously, he gets there and he realizes he's too late and he wouldn't even got paid anyway. And he talks about, like, the futility of the vicious cycle of awaiting the Criterion sale, but not actually knowing what you want to get. But then by the time it's done, you realize that you forgot about it. You didn't buy anything, but making peace with the fact that, like, you didn't buy anything. But then he also talks about how, like, there are people in this world that are, that, that he, he, he respects the hell out of the Arrow collection because they have the bravery to actually put in the movies that people, that actually leave an impact on people and, like, really shake them up and he he goes on a whole thing about how people love the criterion collection is accepting but are too scared to buy like the to buy like the 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 sallows and the pink flamingos of the collection and instead just want like uh wes anderson movies that they've already seen in nice fancy packaging and he would go on and on about how like he wants to be the person to like push people to finally to just like give in to their sicko side and just like embrace the arrow collection and pick up a copy of basket case <laughs> and like buying all these other sicko movies that are somehow in the criterion collection and disregarding like the, the, the clean classics and stuff. And uh, yeah, the people in the store would just be watching him go on about this. And he would probably be like, he'd probably be like tossing around like a DVD the whole time he's doing it, but he would of course put it down and not buy it anyway. <laughs> yeah. I just like the image of Graham Spector just like, Waving his wrench around and yelling like, "You idiots haven't even seen Pink Flamingos." <laughs> <laughs> he would he would be trying to yell at people, trying to convince them that they should that if they truly love movies, they should already have at least two copies of every John Waters movie in the collection. <laughs> um, constantly selling people on getting the like Scorsese World Cinema collections. <laughs> uh. God, he would be um, all about the collections too. He would, yeah, yeah for uh, sure. And then he would like completely reverse his position. Uh, he would like like midstream. He'd rant for fifteen minutes, and then he'd have like the exact opposite. He just completely <laughs> shift gears. So you talk about you talk about how he in the end he is ultimately a romantic for the classics, but because of course you have to love the classics no matter what because they're classics. He would just uh, switch and be like, yeah, like all of these like obscure like movies are actually just, like, trash. This isn't real art. Like, <laughs> people just, like, do this as, like, a elaborate posturing gesture that they just, like, acquire these films and, like, watch them and talk about them. But, like, really, like, the real classics are the, like, you know, I was, like, Lawrence of Arabia, like, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> you can, you and, can tell we really think highly of uh, Graham Spector. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, of course he can do the cup thing. Basically, all he does in the one episode that he shows up in is doing the cup thing. That's basically the only thing he does. He does it with a wrench in monologues. Of course he could do the cup song thing. Of course he could. He definitely um, does all of it with r- wrenches. Yeah. <laughs> uh, as for food court, um, oh, um, he would be the guy at a Starbucks making a case for why can't he just go in and buy a cup of coffee anymore? And why does everything have to have all these crazy names? Um, and then come around on getting just like the most ridiculous Frappuccino. <laughs> yeah. Talk himself into getting, like, Oh my the... God. He'd, he'd have the hell receipt on his cappuccino with like 30 ingredients and like 50 pumps of sugar in it. Yeah. Yeah. Like this, the cereal, like the purple cereal, whatever Frappuccino. um and then uh claire stanfield so um i think does kiss the homies goodnight i don't think tucks the homies in though all the homies being uh other elderly train conductors (laughs) yes yeah and Um, then i think probably some of the main group by the end of the series uh mcu feelings um, I think, so th- this is also going to tie into, to the, uh, Barnes and Noble sale question. I think that Claire just really, really loves going to theaters. And so I think sometimes he will find himself in a theater watching an MCU movie. And like, I think there are like movies that he really loves and the MCU is not that. But he mm-hmm. will sometimes go just because he wants to spend some time sitting in a theater. You know? Yeah. Uh, like, what's showing? Uh, I guess I'll watch this. You know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't think he's disappointed when he doesn't have money for the, the Arrow and Criterion sale. Because he's just following, like, all of the art house cinemas. Like, he he's, like, you know, following all of them on Twitter. Checks it all the time. Um, and then it's just, like, traveling around. is like, oh... They're going to have, like, Paris, Texas over at the Alamo here, and we'll just, like, travel there to watch it. <laughs> you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, he's, like, planning trips around just going to a city because they're going to screen, like, Chess of the Wind or whatever. <laughs> um, and so doesn't care about the, the aero sales. Like, I'm not going to, like, sit at home and watch it on my TV. That's not the cinema. Um. Yeah, I then, think it's also, like, him being, like, oh, yeah, like, this whole film and this whole cinema is just, like, in my own mind. But yeah. it's, like, such an overwhelming, like, experience. It's just, like, him basking in, like, like his own, like, ability to, like, create this, yeah. like, for himself. I have chosen that, like, this is the film that I want to be watching right now. And it is in such a way that, like, other people can partake of the film. Yeah. You know? Because um, it's, like, such a powerful experience to, yeah. like, watch a film in a theater. And I think that's, like, part of what he likes about it. It's just being oh. able to be like, oh, yeah, this is just, like, the power of, like, my consciousness to project this. Every time that the music box does the 70 millimeter... Uh, film stuff like he just lives in the theater (laughs) (laughs) yeah he moonlights Uh, as a as a projectionist yeah definitely uh um 
has some uh, projectionist-based torture methods, for sure. Oh, yeah. Um, then uh, could do the cup song thing. Uh, definitely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think I think might think it's beneath him can can do more advanced but can do it. Um and then food court selection. Um god this one is so hard with Bakana characters. It really is. I could see a lot of different options for Claire. I think so you know how sometimes like you'll go to a food court and there's like all of the like chains. And then there'll just be some place that like it has the like the most generic name. And it's just clearly like some person in this like town opened a business in the food court. Hmm. Yeah. Um, where the, it's just like chicken teriyaki, but it's not like a, a chain, like a brand or whatever. They're just doing chicken teriyaki or the, it's just like a random like taco place or something yeah. that's like in this town. Uh, I think that like he always wants that. Mm. Um, yeah. To seek out like those new those new experiences that are a part of like the world that he allows to exist. He would yeah, he would like the go- additional variation on like yes. outside of the patterns. Like he would zero yeah. in on the most local food in the food court. Yeah. Uh, who's next on that? That's, yeah. Do we uh, do we want to edit down think, this this final <laughs> list a little? I think uh, yeah. Um, wait, what, what, what you want to do? Like, is there anyone picks? that jumps out at you, JC? I was about, that I was about you to say, do? like, um, I would be down to do Zillard. Okay, let's do Zillard and let's let's call it at Zillard. Okay, okay, okay. Um, Zillard. Um, same grounds as Lad. If he kisses and tuck you in, you know you're not waking up that morning. Get the fuck out of there. He, otherwise, he is not doing that. Honestly, he goes to kiss you goodnight, and it is because he already has his hand <laughs> on your head and is consuming you. <laughs> um, MCU feelings? Um, he I just, think... like, completely is, like, derisive. He has no joy in the MCU. Yeah, so, I was oh, like, that's just garbage. I feel like, I, I feel like, yeah, I feel like he absolutely would just kind of be like, oh, this is the dribble of the masses, but, like, I feel like um, I feel like he's the kind of guy where like there maybe would be like once in a while there'd be the one that's like a little more art than you expected relative to the rest of the movies, which is to say like like the first time we saw Guardians or like Black Panther, and um, he would be surprised. I don't know if he liked it. He'd like it, but he'd be like, "What? How did they figure this out? What sorcery did they do to make such?" vision within a studio system with a director like this no less how did this happen like he would he would dedicate too much brain power to figuring out exactly how that happened by some sort of miracle of a fluke within the uh the studio disney system um reacting to realize they won't have any money for the area and criterion sale on barnes and noble um hmm let me think about this so I think I think it'd be the kind of thing where he would um he would definitely get angry and irate in the store. But for him, I think a lot so I think a lot like Miza, he he doesn't what was it Miza we said this for? Who was the one we said would probably likes like the um special features and stuff? Was that Miza? Yeah. 
Okay, yeah. I think like Miza, I think he's lost a taste for movies in general because he's lived through the entire history of the medium, so nothing is new to him anymore. But he likes the special features, he likes the commentaries and the uh, booklets inside because for him, it's just more knowledge and it's a way for him. It's like it's like a quick dopamine hit of him getting knowledge and he probably lords it over other people that he knows so much about these movies because he's gone through every feature and will take every opportunity, especially if you're watching it with him, to tell you exactly how that movie was made. Yeah, he probably... Unlike Miza, who who is just like accepting of like, eh, if you know, I'll I'll get it next time around. It's fine. Um, Zillow would get really mad and then be like, I really wanted that copy of you know Seven Samurai because I wanted to watch the the like extra features. Mm-hmm. Um, and will find somebody who bought it. And, like, went home and watched all the special features right away and then just eat them to, like, consume the memories <laughs> and, like, have the the knowledge of it and just be like, well, that was good enough for me. Yeah, over 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 centuries of living, he has actually somehow managed to amass the entire Criterion Collection in his mind alone. He does not own a single disc. He does not need to. But he, he still, every once in a while, will try to send an errand boy to go and get a new release he hasn't seen. And when they don't come back because they didn't come back in time, he probably invariably consumes them uh the cup song thing mm, same deal as i'd say like same deal as like uh as ennis probably where it's like um he could do it but only because he's consumed the knowledge of somebody who did it before before then though i think he couldn't do it and he would see it as a personal feeling of his but as soon as he drank the grand panacea one of his first thoughts was I can find someone who can do this and I can consume them and do it. <laughs> All right. Now food court selection. I'm going to throw a wild card in here. And I'm going to say McDonald's because Miza is not only a man of the classics, but I think, I think it brings him some sort of weird timeless comfort to know that even though every other restaurant comes and goes and changes throughout time, McDonald's is consistent. And perhaps, perhaps even before his demise, for a brief moment, he might even consider the fact that perhaps the secret to the Grand Panacea exists in this burger that does not deteriorate when stored away for a year or two. And he probably dedicates a few years of his life to just consuming the burgers and trying to figure this out. But over time, he just kind of realizes that there is no secret. They are just very uh, basic burgers. But um, nonetheless, he finds that through the experiment of having tasted the burgers that, again, their consistency brings him comfort. And it's a little treat he will allow himself to have, but only in secret. Works out like a madman, though, after a burger to work off those calories, though, every time. I do think um, he... Every time that he eats the burger, he does think as a little joke to himself, I want to eat. (laughs) (laughs) He eats them through his hand, not through his mouth. (laughs) I think this, I think this also might be the, the spot where Ruby Tuesday comes into play. Um, just because like Applebee's. Yeah. You know, I think Zillard likes the salad bar. at Ruby Tuesday. Um, (laughs) And I think he gets, like, really angry, like, 
for some reason that even he doesn't understand, like he he like the salad bar at Ruby Tuesdays, like the one thing that he like brings him joy. But he's constantly getting like really angry when they don't have like oh like the baby corn is not like is empty. I mean, he's he's irate yeah. and he's he's kind of a bit of a Karen at a at a um, Ruby Tuesdays. Absolutely, and half, the, half the time it's reasonable. Like, what is the purpose of the sneeze guard if you were to stick your head under it? It's there for a reason. Or these <laughs> children, they run around with, at the with the chocolate fountain at eye and hand level. Why would you dare do that? Like, half his complaints are reasonable, but he absolutely is a Karen about it, and it's like, where is the baby corn? I would not have come here if there was no baby <laughs> corn out. Or or oh, I do not pay for the steak. I pay for the sizzle. Cook it again. And like, <laughs> he absolutely would not leave a tip. He never tips. Zillard does not tip. Yeah, Zillard. Um, Zillard is like fucking nightmare. Ruby Tuesday. Yeah, he he's like air. he's disappointed, and they're like, "Well, we'll give you a, a a gift certificate," and then tries to use it when he goes to pay, and they're like, "Oh no, that's for next time." And then he goes, "If you do not take this, there will not be a next time." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, would you like 100%. would you like your leftovers? Would you like your leftovers to go, sir? Put them in the trash where they belong. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, it was one hundred percent. Zillard is a Karen, and likes and is a Karen at Ruby Tuesdays. <laughs> uh, when when he shows up, there are employees that go back in the kitchen, and they're just like, "I'm not serving that man. My shift is over." God damn it, he's here again. <laughs> <laughs> um, please tell me we have baby corn. No, we don't. Oh, god damn it. Uh, before we go, I don't want to do everything for Ronnie, uh, but Ronnie definitely does want humanity to show him, uh, if like kissing and tucking in the homies goodnight <laughs> makes life worth living. He would, he would ask the question of, I don't understand how the kiss and the tuck helps you sleep, but I'm curious about you, about you humans. So I will indulge. Yeah, uh, I could see Ronnie going for a good pretzel dog too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um sometimes you just got to laugh and have a pretzel dog. I feel like getting a pretzel dog is basically like res- the same kind of like response to existence that like Ronnie is exemplifying. <laughs> <laughs> um well, I think that's it. Do we, have, do we have anything else? No, I got. I have a. I have a pretzel dog to go eat. I think Ronnie would okay. chase the McRib. I think Ronnie would be a McRib chaser. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I could see that too. He is. He is the sole reason the McRib ever comes back because somebody made a deal with Ronnie. Um. <laughs> <laughs> uh. But uh, no, this was this was fun. These were some really good questions. I, I these are these are a lot of fun to kind of both both uh they 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 run the gamut of both the highbrow and the lowbrow, which is where I love to live. No no middles for me, only extremes. <laughs> At some point, Ina's just gonna be like, "Yeah, can you like answer like ten questions each about each character in the Romance of the Three Kingdoms?" Okay, thanks. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> Thank you. 
Um, well, I, I guess I'll wrap things up with, uh, so next episode, uh, I mentioned this earlier, but it will be the intro to Serial Experiments Lane. Um, we actually, like, I just finished watching it. Um, I mean, rewatching it. I've seen it before, but um, today, and I think we're recording in two days. Yeah, Saturday. Yeah. Um, for the final episode. Uh, but I love that show a lot. Um, if people want to write into future question buckets, so we are recording a little bit earlier than we normally do for question buckets, like by a day, but still, if you miss the deadline, uh, you send these in, um, you can still send in the the questions and we'll just get to them when we get to them. Um, you know, in a future episode, uh, but you can send those to ghostdiverspod at gmail.com. Uh, go support the network exportodd.io. We'll take you to the Patreon. Uh, if you do one dollar um, a month, you get early access to a bunch of podcasts, which include uh, Ornate Stairwells, which is the movie podcast that I do with my friend Autumn. Um, so if you enjoy Arrow and Criterion movies, that's a good podcast for you. You can also get the public feed for that at exportodd.io/slash Ornate Stairwells. Um, and then you'll also get early access to Pondering Pujan with Ajishiro Taro and Hachimitsu Boy, uh, which is a podcast where Connor and I are reading through the Cromarty High School manga at the rate that it was published in uh, Weekly Shonen Magazine. And uh, the other main gimmick of it is when we uh, start recording, like literally when we hit record, I start a timer for a half hour. Um, and then... Once that goes off, we have to be done recording. <laughs> um, so, yeah, you can get listen to the when you're hearing this. Um, I think you'll be able to go listen to both the forward, uh, which is just kind of us introing the podcast and on our actual uh, episode for chapter one. Um, and you can get the public feed. Even when you're listening to this, if you go to the public feed, you'll at least get the forward that'll be out. Um so that will be actually will that be out? No. No, it won't. I, it will be well, soon. Yeah. Yeah. I think the forward will, but No, yeah, the forward will. Sorry, I did the math wrong in my head. Yeah, the forward will be out in the public feed. So you can go to that. Uh to find that you can go to exportaudio slash Puton. Just Puton. P O O T A N. Um should also by then be in like Apple Podcasts and stuff. Hmm. Um you can follow the podcast at Ghost Divers Pod. You can follow me at Fox Nia, as well as Mediav underscore Pile. That's M-E-D-I-A-M-H underscore P-I-L-E. Uh, where can people follow you, Connor? Uh, y'all can follow me uh, on Twitter and co-host at Rabelais, R-A-B-B-L-E-A-I-S. Um, yeah, I'm also Fox Nia on co-host. Um, and where can people follow you, JC, anything else you want to promo? Yeah, of course. Um, you can follow me at Sonic9JCT on Twitter. Um, often you can find me rambling about something if I'm not sharing my artwork or whatever. Um, I stream every Thursday with Yeti. That's office hours. It's a fun stream where we just kind of stream from uh, Yeti's HQ. So, you know, sometimes we play games. We've been playing a lot of Fall Guys lately. Um, we've invoked a ghost recently, so we've had a lot of... Um, 
ghost invasions during my stream. Uh, this is not a bit. There is actually a ghost in our office now. And I'm not kidding. I think there is actually... No, I don't think. I know we have a ghost problem now. This is a real thing. This is not a bit. We actually have a ghost. Uh, so tune in. Maybe you'll, maybe you'll see a ghost too. Who knows? And uh, also keep an eye on my general uh, uh, social media in general. Um, I've started doing some solo streams just on my own. So you keep an eye out for that once I kind of get those going a little bit more. Want to get those a bit more regular. And uh, I am also working on some video content right now. And when that is done, I will gladly be sharing that. Uh, I've got a video I'm working on right now about Guitaru Man. So uh, if you like rhythm games and you like um, if you're... Uh, if you're if you're if you're if you're wistful for the era in the late 90s and the early 2000s in which like really obscure Japanese companies would team up with really obscure Japanese graphic designers and they would just make a game that looked like that person's art, then you might like the sorts of things I'm looking forward to going over in my videos. Uh, keep an eye out for those. That'll be a lot of fun once uh, those get up and running. Um. So are you telling me if I go watch this on this? This VOD, this video on demand, uh, Office Hour Sticker Moon Showcase in Salamander uh, County Public Television. I will see evidence of paranormal activity. Um, maybe. Uh, later, I think in the first half of the show at some point, I actually do uh, give a recap of the uh, paranormal activity on the show. And right when I do that, if you look, there is a very weird sound that happens out right outside the window that's right by my couch. And, um... I turn and I look at it because I generally do not know what that sound is. So that is, like I said, we were, the ghost's name is Derek. And we're on a Derek watch of mm, yellow today. That sound maybe bumped up to a Derek watch orange, but um, it was enough that it got my attention. Uh, we have had mysterious knocking in the warehouse. Um, we've had Derek wreck the internet connection during our games and we've invoked his name. Um, mm. Somebody in the warehouse turned on the toaster oven, and if you turn it past zero, it just stays on. And I came to the kitchen one morning to just find it on, and uh, nobody has owned up to it, and that seems to be the work of Derek. Derek likes to be played with and does not take it kindly when he is not played with. So uh, we've had more than a few Derek incidents on stream and off the stream. Uh, I don't know where this will go. I'm not kidding. We, we have a ghost in the office. <laughs> Uh, I guess if you want to watch the Yeti streams, you want to head to yeti.tv and you can, you can catch them there. I mean, after that, how can we not? Yeah. <laughs> it, I, I mean, I, I don't know what to say. I got to live with this ghost. I'm talking about the, the first, the first <laughs> like objectively substantiated evidence of paranormal activity. I mean, I feel like the moment Derek is visible on stream, that will be my final stream and you'll never hear from me again. So <laughs> God, oh God, I oh God, I hope not. <laughs> I'm I'm I, I'm figuring this out the same time that y'all are. This is not a bit. We have a ghost, that I generally don't know what to do about it. <laughs> well, I'm Stay sure safe. it will resolve itself eventually. You know what? Maybe it's just the rail tracer. In, in, Maybe that's in your, all. In it your is. disappearance. I mean, not unlike the rail tracer, we told the story, and the rail tracer showed up. So you know what? Maybe that's what we're looking at here. <laughs> yeah, maybe Derek will haunt our podcast now. Oh, God. I hope not. But I, I can go on about Derek. It's a whole thing. Watch the streams. We give the lowdown on the backstory about Derek in those streams. <laughs> it is there. Um, 
Well, I I guess that's it. <laughs> yeah, on, <laughs> Bye, on, everyone, that, on that note. Yeah, please stay safe, JC. <laughs> I mean, I'm just hoping I can export this file safely and Derek does not choose to sabotage it. <laughs> <laughs> Derek, don't you mess with my podcast. <laughs> um, bye. <laughs> bye, everyone. Okay.
Okay. Worth, it's worth noting this pod, this podcast recorded very shortly after the current. Wait, no, the current Criterion sale ends in three days when we record. When you hear this, it'll be over. So what will you listeners do when you realize you've missed the Criterion sale? Because that shit is over and done with now. Good luck. This podcast recorded shortly before the disappearance of John Charles. <laughs> uh, died the, I died the un- way I live talking about ghosts on podcast. <laughs> Um, All right. Bye, JC. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye. It, like, you know, it was nice knowing you. <laughs> nice knowing you. Yeah. Uh, it was nice talking to you. <laughs> well, well, while well, we were able to. Oh, we need to do a time that is clap. Are people still yeah. recording? Oh, yeah. I was yeah, saying, no, yeah. no one's clapped yet. Okay. Let's just do this one quick and clean. Was it time dot is? Yeah. It's in my history. Sweet. What, what, t- what time are we looking at? All right, we go by the, we go by the seconds in case you don't remember. So I call out the seconds, and then we and then we clap on that when it turns to that. Yeah. Seventeen. All right. Okay. Ooh, that was clean. That's yeah, just like um, I said, quick and clean. Yeah. Also, speaking of MCU, I have an ad on here from the Lego store of a fucking kid's portrait getting Thanos. I, I don't know what I'm looking at here. This is really <laughs> weird. Um, when should we stop this? recording? Yeah, we can stop recording. Oh, it's a mosaic maker. It lets you make a, your own mosaic. Yeah, it's like, what's the point of it all? It's like, I need a little bit, I need a little more than just uh, catching and battling and catching and battling. You, you reach the top, and then Alexander wept for there were no more mountains to slay. Like, where, where's there to go from there? Mm hmm. Oh, I hit record like uh, a minute and a half ago. <laughs> oh, okay, I just hit record. My, shaking my head. Thank you for waiting. My glass of water turned okay, into I'm a very now. large mug of tea because I was thinking about it and I was like, actually, if my throat is, uh, I don't have a sore throat. I don't mean sore as in sick, but just sore as in been using it a lot. If I have a sore throat, I want tea, not water. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, I think this goes back for me, like the emotional like root of this goes back to when I can't remember if I've told this story on uh, on Ghost Divers before, but uh, in undergrad, I was like, last year of undergrad, um, we had to do like a thesis to graduate, and I like wasn't doing it, um, and and this I think is probably like you know of, of widely shared experience. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but it was like uh, eventually going to become like, you know, a 60 to 70 page like thesis. And I think I got, you know, it was like the final three months or whatever. Uh, and I downloaded also just like for context to really paint the picture for you. Um, so I had like a really junky PC at the time. That was like in my bedroom, um, which was like adjacent to my living room, but still like a different room. And then I had like my couch just like diagonal in the middle of my living room, uh, like four feet from my like 
PS4 and my um, TV. And then I had like gotten a, um, like, I can't remember how I did it. Um, but basically like I was playing Pokemon, like in my living room, I was running on my computer, playing it in my living room, just like sitting four feet from the TV, <laughs> like staring at, at the screen. Um, I was also like, you know, like high continuously at this point. Um, so I downloaded Pokemon. I started to play through. I think it was like, it wasn't Gen 2. It might have been like Gen 3 or Gen 4. Um, and I, you know how like in the emulators you can speed it up. So you're playing it on like four times speed or whatever. It's like, yeah. it's like honestly like the best part of emulating sometimes depending on the game. <laughs> Absolutely. 100%. Especially for Pokemon. Like I, it would, it would be torture. I think if someone made me play Pokemon without like a speed booster. Um, so I'm sitting here like, like blazed out of my mind, like just like hammering away at my keyboard, <laughs> like skipping through all of the like, you know, rep- like repeating dialogues and battle screens and shit, playing Pokemon yeah. at like 10 times speed for like a month. Um, like putting off like my thesis, which is like two months away. And I like for which I have not done any research, like much less any writing. Um, and then finally, like I played all the way through it. And I think the whole time I was just like the like combination of just like the fundamental Pokemon existential dread that we we're talking about. And then like the like immense anxiety of like, I'm like self-destructing academically uh, and I really need to do this thesis was like building uh, gradually. And then I got like, I'll, I'll always remember this. This moment is so vivid for me. Like even now I like go through the whole game, get to victory road, like blow through victory road. And I literally got to like the door leading out of Victory Road. And I got like right in this, like I walked up to like the square before leaving it and I just froze and I was like, oh my fucking God. Oh no. I have to write my <laughs> thesis. <laughs> and I just like shut my computer down and like went to the library and then spent like the next like two months just hold up in the library for like six hours a day and like crashed out my thesis. Um, and it all worked out. Um, but I like never went back to that playthrough. The playthrough was just like cursed. And then I got rid of that computer. Um, like I didn't have a PC cause then I went to like grad school. I left my PC. I didn't have a PC for like a year and a half after that. Um, and then like, I didn't play Pokemon until like three years later, but never went back to that, to that save. I just stopped at the end of victory road. I, um, I, I, don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't think my experience with Pokemon was like a quite as heavy as that. I just, I got what diamond, I think. No mm. platinum. I got platinum as a birthday gift for my best friend in high school. Cause she knew I hadn't really played much of a uh, Pokemon past the originals. And she got that for me to kind of maybe get back into it and play with her. 
And um, I think it was the the loop of um, not really understanding what the end game of Pokemon was, just because like this was probably at the point in time where I'd say like my taste in games was not yet cemented, but it was starting to actually develop into what it is today. So like this would be the point in time where I'm discovering that like oh my favorite games are things like. We love Katamari and Ikaruga and Metal Slug 3 and Super Puzzle Fighter. Oh, yeah. All those other things. It's like, okay, I'm actually developing what my actual personal tastes in games are. And part of that was realizing that I was very much... Uh, I'm a very... Uh, in, uh, it, it, when it comes to uh, the loop, the reward uh, input-output loop of um, games, it's typically uh, typically among many academics, it's uh, qualified as either being external or internal for example, um, an external reward would be something like, say, the achievement system that we know today, or um, a trophy, or a secret stage, or something like that. And intrinsic has a lot more to do with um, rewards that don't exist within the game. Like, say, for example, getting good enough at a game to compete, or just like you come out of a, a game uh, feeling good about having solved a puzzle, or you. Yeah, we, come we get it, JC. You like you <laughs> like to play hard games that and it makes you better than everybody else. And I got it. <laughs> Sincerely, I don't think I'm better than anybody. But if anything, like I, I came, I came out of games like that, learning a lot about myself. Like uh, that's a whole other conversation altogether. But uh, I came out of Ikaruga, a changed person. Then I went in just because, like, I learned a lot about uh, achieving things for myself. And uh, uh-huh. the, the, the entire game is like a is like a Buddhist philosophy allegory. And it was like, whoa, this uh-huh. is neat stuff. And it was like, well, that's cool. And it's like I have nothing to show for the fact that I beat this game. Except for the fact that I am happy with the growth that I have made as a person learning to play this. And then I I wasn't getting that from Pokemon because I was like, well, you raise up the Pokemon to get stronger. And once you get strong enough, you're basically kind of like beating dudes in like one or three hits or whatever. And it was a thing of just kind of like, I don't really know if I'm going to have a lot of people to play this with. I don't think I want to go online and play with strangers. And I have one friend to play it with. But I mean, I'm just kind of basically like building this Pokemon up to, to tank and just going through it. And it just was the sort of thing where it's like something about the loop wasn't doing it for me. And knowing that the end goal was to become the most powerful until there was basically no challenge left was, uh, I, I don't know if I'd say anxiety inducing, but it really made me kind of like, I had to put <laughs> it down. Cause I was like, I, I can't, I can't do this. I don't know. I don't know where this goes. Cause the experience lacks the Yomi I desire from like, a fighting game or something, but uh, I have no interest in collecting all the Pokemon, but also too, I guess... Oh my god, yeah. I, I can't guess, even imagine that doing that. I, I guess this is right before they start introducing more elements to uh, express yourself with Pokemon, because I guess like in the years since, they'd have um... Oh, they'd have what? The, the Pokemon fashion shows, and then there's like Pokemon and me, and now there's like at least two or three games you can pull your Pokemon out of the game to put them into to play with them. And there's a whole novelty now of Pokemon Bank where you can actually, like, draw in your Pokemon all the way from the Game Boy all the way up to, like, the upcoming, like, Scarlet and Violet even if you have Pokemon Box. Like, it's ridiculous. Oh, wow. Like, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's like there's there's so many more verbs to engage with Pokemon with, but I think I got into it. I tried, gave it another try right before those verbs were introduced into the game. And I, there was something about the experience about thinking about going through what I went through with Pokemon red again, that just was like, um, I don't think this is for me and I don't think I can do this, but 
I don't know. Maybe I would have really clicked with um, competitive Pokemon. I, I have friends in college who are very much into competitive Pokemon, but even then that gets into a level game of um, math and numbers that I'm just not interested in. I, I think about my games very heuristically. Like, I like that Persona is as simple as, like, look, this guy's weak to lightning. If all four of you dudes, like, hit this guy with lightning, you all can just gang up and, like, X gotta give it to him, all right? So just do that. And it's like, <laughs> well, yeah, I like that. That's heuristic. of being this thing where it's like, well, lightning does uh, 33% uh, stun damage, but uh, this move does 23% stun damage. But if you uh, buff it with this move, it enhances the 23% by 1.5, thereby making it uh, 57.6%, and then combine it with 35%. And if you equip this item, it'll push you up like 0.5%. Like, my brain just shuts off at that level, and that's what competitive Pokemon sounded like to me. So I just, I don't know, I just kind of slowly backed away from Pokemon because I just kind of was thinking, and I, I said to myself, uh, if I keep going on this road, I think I'm just going to make myself very sad in a weird way that I don't think I'll be happy looking back at my time with this, but who knows? It sounds like, it sounds like there's a part of your brain that could be very good at competitive Pokemon. Uh, it could be if I didn't need to be good at math at it. I don't really like, I don't know, seeing, seeing the, seeing the Excel chart behind a game, it makes a game cease to be interesting to me because it's no longer games. It's just numbers. And it's like, I like that there is an illusion on the part of the developer to, make those numbers feel correct without having to think about them. You know, like how, like, uh, the math of Fire Emblem lies where they often will, um, boost your chances for success when the odds are low and boost your chances for failure when they're high to make, um, fights more dramatic. And it's like, I don't care to know that's the truth of it because like the fact of the matter is, is like in a fight, it works. Cause like a true one in six chance, well, one in six chances, I feel like a one in six chance we're actually playing a game, but like, one in three feels like what we think one in six should feel like and that's more dramatically interesting you know yeah i think it's either like i agree except in instances where the game is like fully just an excel chart it's like a continuum where like when you get back to like oh this is just fully an excel chart again Mm -hmm. then it can start like it can start like becoming a, a fun game again like mm. on those terms, but yeah, yeah the, like, the, like, the in between a uh, uh, Stellara or something where like those ones are just so much about the systems interacting. I'm sorry, did you say you mean Stel- uh, you say Stellaris? Stellaris? Oh yeah, Stellaris. Okay, yeah, because I was about to say I thought you were talking about that because I know my my partner loves that and she has told me many tales about Stellaris. We were at a wedding and she somehow found the one person at the wedding who also had played Stellaris and they just talked about how confusing the game was and I was like, well, I'm glad you found your people, hon. <laughs> Yeah, I'm a big, I know I've like mentioned this before on the podcast, but like, I am like really obsessed with Paradox games. Um, And when I was like thinking, when I made the Excel chart comment, yeah, like I was thinking of Hearts of Iron, but Stellaris is another good one. Yeah. Um, In terms of like, when it comes to, if people enjoy playing Pokemon like a spreadsheet game, like when they're going to like. And often I feel like that ends up being the most like people who want to do competitive stuff where you're like battling against other players mm-hmm. is where that stuff gets really yeah, important for sure. Um, but like the Pokemon games are, are generally pretty easy. Um, I feel like they like have built in things to make them uh, generally more user friendly as they've gone on to. 
Uh, and so to me, I think just like, at, at least from my perspective, but I would kind of broadly encourage people to approach Pokemon games this way, which is that it's just about the guys. It's about like <laughs> little guys, the guys that you like, Yeah, you yeah. know, what Pokemon do you like? Which ones are the cute ones or whatever? Um, and especially as it's gone on, like even in, in, uh, like red and blue, um, you could still kind of just build a team of the guys that you liked. Um, there were like, I feel like more limitations at the time. I feel like at this point though, like if, if you have a start, like an early area Pokemon that you really like, you can probably keep them through throughout it. Um, yeah. like typing has become, obviously it's good to get that like extra hit from it being a, a type that the Pokemon has, but like so many Pokemon can lo- learn moves that are types that aren't, like their type yeah so yeah. you don't even have to worry about that anymore no, no, you know like can win know. without it you can win without leveraging yeah. like the min max like typing for and sure then, like yeah. i know like hidden machines aren't even tied to your pokemon anymore so you don't even have to have like the like a uh, the pack mule like people used to have where it's like oh well i only have what was it maybe like a like a nidoran or something where it's like well this pokemon can learn like five of the six hm so it just lives in my unit at all times so i can always cut and swim and stuff yeah I do think, like, when I was playing through, I can't remember if it was, like, if it was Black 2 or White 2. Um, it is interesting, because, like, Black and White have a hard mode. Um, and I think, like, to, to this day, they're the only ones that... Actually, I think maybe the, the remake that they just did. Uh, uh, what, Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl? Yeah. Pokemon yeah, BDSM. Think... <laughs> That's not what it is. It's BDSP. <laughs> uh, just ignoring that one. Um, yeah, I think that I think they have like some sort of hard mode or something equivalent to it. Um, mm-hmm. But like, so when I was playing th- through Black Two, like I, I downloaded a, a cheat to like crack it so I could play hard hard mode from the start because normally you have to beat it first. Um, and it is weird because like, you, you really do have those two extremes of like, I think Pokemon is so much, as you're saying, Nia, like designed to be like, I mean, largely like a kid's game, um, and like user friendly. Um, and then of course you have like the, the really competitive like side of it, which is also possible and facilitated by the structure of the game. Um, but just to have it be like a normal, like hard game, it, it's a weird feeling. Like I didn't, um, the experience is like a little bit odd and not quite as satisfying as I was like expecting it to be when I set out to do this whole like playthrough. Yeah. Um, but I do like appreciate how they've adapted it over the years. Um, it's just, it, it's still just like a, a really odd experience for me to play it. Um, yeah. even though I do like, I do love Pokemon on mm-hmm. some level. Um, like, and I enjoy it a lot as like an entity, uh, or as like just a thing that exists as a franchise. Um, but it has some weird uh, uh, emotional charge <laughs> for me um, that makes it like kind of weird to to play it. 
Yeah. See, something I've, I've wondered about a little bit is I wonder how much that has to do with um, our relationship with games, specifically RPGs, specifically JRPGs in this country. Because um, I started recently playing Dragon Quest Four, I believe. And um, mm. I don't think you really kind of get like, I mean, I don't know if you ever played a Dragon Quest before, but it's a completely different flavor of game from what Final Fantasy is. Because Final Fantasy is yeah. definitely, a, I mean, by design, it's a lot more streamlined. It's a lot more, um, I'm going to say story is the driving factor in most Final Fantasies. Like, of course, you get the occasional Final Fantasy 12 or or 14, where it's like, it's all about the mechanics of it, even though there's a good story there. But that's what really hooks people is the gameplay. Largely, Final Fantasy is narrative-driven, and it's about, like, um, basically not forcing your way through the gameplay, but pushing your way through the gameplay to to have enjoy a story, or there's often, like, a narrative to the combat between, like, bosses, or there's ice enemies in the ice cave, or these hard enemies are protecting a chocobo. Like, those are stories in and of themselves. And um, in playing Dragon Quest, this is my first time playing a Dragon Quest uh, straight, but the closest I've come is I have played Earthbound, which Earthbound is basically, mechanically, a Dragon Quest ripoff. And this was something I noticed about, Dra- about yeah. Earthbound as well. Because Earthbound has the perfect middle point between Dragon Quest and Final Fantasy. There is a story in Dragon Quest, and it ain't bad, but that really is not what you're spending most of your time doing, because, like, the combat in Dragon Quest is, like, it is all mechanical. Like, it is all about a game about, like, getting strong to fight more guys and stuff. And I have to wonder if maybe, like, part of Pokemon's appeal and part of why it works for children as well is that like Pokemon is not the training wheels to a Final Fantasy. I think Pokemon is the is the training wheels to a Dragon Quest. Like almost to the point where um the the, the guy who's credited as being the creator of Pokemon, uh blanket on his name, I just remember Ken Sugimori who was the artist. That's not the guy I'm thinking of, but the guy who was the original who's the original creator of Pokemon, I think he actually cited a monster collecting mechanic in Dragon Quest either four or five. I think he cited that as being like a huge influence on the design of Pokemon. And when, I, when I've been thinking about it that way, it's like, well, I suppose it does make sense that Pokemon is the way it is because like it is, it is that sort of like mechanical gameplay uh, divorced from uh traditional narrative story for in the service of like building up a narrative through the harsh mechanics of like battle and getting stronger and stuff because like, uh, you know, I, I've played a few chapters of Dragon Quest Four, and, like, all I've done so far is I keep uh, rescuing kidnapped children from aliens, and it's like, oh, okay, but, like, the more interesting story is the tale of me uh, going back and forth between town to get stronger and living myself up and getting strong enough to, like, plow through the enemies that were once uh, giving me a hard time, uh, getting into that whole extrinsic-intrinsic thing as an intrinsic reward is, like, getting strong enough to take out the enemies as opposed to the extrinsic reward of the story and actually the leveling up of it, too, and I don't know. Pokemon might just kind of be, like, training wheels for that sort of thing, and I have to wonder if maybe, like, I would appreciate Pokemon a little bit better going back to it after playing something like Dragon Quest, knowing, keeping in mind, like, Dragon Quest, like, Final Fantasy represents a lot of Americans' relationships and viewpoints on RPGs, but that is not the case in Japan, where it's very much explicitly Dragon Quest, which defines what the JRPG... Well, not JRPG, just the RPG. Uh, the Dragon Quest defines what the RPG experience is for that audience in comparison. And I don't know. I, I look forward to the lens I start seeing RPGs under after getting a few more Dragon Quest uh, games under my belt. Yeah, Dragon Quest is really fun. 
Um, I've played a number of them. Um, there's also like, especially if you trace the roots of Final Fantasy. Um, early on, it was a little bit less like plot focused, but was still, I would say, pulling more from what was happening in Western RPG mm-hmm. spaces, where um, like there's a there's a clear D and D influence on um, Final Fantasy with like. You know, early Final the Fantasy, monsters and, the the and jobs, like the classes mm-hmm. are really important. Yeah, a lot of the monsters are monsters that might also appear in like a monster manual for Dungeons and Dragons. Um, there's a little bit different of, of a style, but it's even some of that is kind of evoking um, a like Western fantasy style that existed. Um, and it, it's kind of evolved into its own thing over time, but um but yeah, and then like Dragon Quest is obviously still pulling from like Western medieval uh like reference Trips. points for some of it. Yeah. Um but also like some of the monsters like the slime is just such a different thing mm-hmm. than anything that's in Final Fantasy, especially early Final Fantasy. Um, but like, even if you compare the slime to like iconic monsters from final fantasy, like it, it is still so much more of like a, a cute little design than like a, a Moogle or a Chocobo or something, which is like pushed a little bit more realistically. Mm-hmm. Um, especially in those early games, if you look at those early games, like the way Choco- Chocobos and Moogles are portrayed is much more different from now where they're very, uh, mascotty characters. <laughs> yes. Uh, um, I mean, I think Dragon Quest, one of the major influences on Dragon Quest for a... Wait, is Ken Sugimori the Dragon Quest guy? I'm getting all my things mixed up. No, Yuji Horii is the Dragon Quest guy. Um, yeah. I know Yuji Horii was um, like a lot of uh, RPG Japanese RPG developers at that time. Um, I know he drew a lot of inspiration from, I believe it's Wizardry, if I remember correctly, because Wizardry was really big in Japan in a way that it wasn't in America, which... If you're not familiar with Wizardry, it's a PC RPG, which, like, the elevator pitch is, if you remember the Wizard game from Big, it's like if that was a real video game. And so that was very, very big in Japan, and I know that was a big influence on um on the direction that Dragon Quest went. And I think, like, I feel like you can always kind of tell when a developer is a bigger fan of Wizardry or they're a bigger fan of D&D and kind of, like, super Western-style uh fantasy like even you just kind of drawing that comparison i was thinking about it it's like i feel like uh like the thing about dungeons and dragons is like dungeons and dragons is like knights and dragons and then wizardry is like skeletons and wizards if that comparison makes sense like they're two different types of fantasies where one is about like exerting power on the world and the other one is about the world exerting power on you but you somehow like crawling through that to survive or whatever like to, to triumph over it it's it's a you know, it's it's an interesting distinction to make. Yeah. But yeah, yeah like if I think, you look uh, up Dragon Quest monster design. So I think Toriyama, um, you know, the the Dragon Ball guy, mm-hmm. um, actually did a, a fair number of the like early designs for Dragon Quest. Uh, but like if you if you just look up like if you just Google Dragon Quest monster designs, it's so much more of like especially early Pokemon. Um, later generations of Pokemon, I feel like a different style developed, but like those, that first, like two generations, um, there are some dragon quest monsters that are like, this is practically a Pokemon Mm -hmm. (laughs) or Pokemon are practically this. I mean, Ditto is basically Uh, just like a slime with the whites of the eyes erased. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. Um, but like, even when it's like, oh, this is a like Wolfman or something, it still just has this like cartoonish quality mm-hmm. um, that like Final Fantasy isn't going to do, but that totally they would do some Wolfman style uh, monster in Pokemon. Well, if there's a Wolfman in Dragon Quest, that guy's going to make your life your ass off. If there's a Wolfman in Final Fantasy, it's going to be the sexiest damn werewolf you've ever seen. Like, that's the distinction <laughs> there. <laughs> So yeah, and uh, then <laughs> they they definitely localize some of the I I looked up the uh Dragon Quest Wolfman and then uh, I think some of this is like in the localization process but uh so the like palette swaps there's um the Beware Wolf and the Scare Wolf <laughs> oh, Okay um, yeah I I you made me uh you made me go for it I I looked up the the Dragon Quest Wolfman I'm looking yeah. at be- Beware Wolf right now. I know I've yeah, encountered um, one of those. I think I've encountered the Beware Wolf so far, I think, in the opening hours of 4. Yeah, I mean, it is like, it also reminds me of, God help me for referencing this, but um, the art style also reminds me a little bit of Chrono Trigger. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean that's the also Toriyama. The same guy. Yeah. Okay, yeah. well, there you go. <laughs> um and I think uh that's an interesting like franchise to um to bring in as as a comparison point for this conversation yeah. as well. Um anyway, but, do we want to do the episode? <laughs> yeah. Bef- before you before we go off on the Chrono Cross tangent again. Um, yeah. see, I was going to We need gonna... to remember that we have an episode to record. See, when you brought up Crozier Girl, I was about to bring it in a, a, a live a live, live a live direction. Cause that's like, live alive. yeah. Cause I, ooh, man, I don't have that yet, but I want to, I want to get my greasy mitts on that real soon. Ooh, I really want that new live alive that just came out. Um, I, I haven't played it yet. Uh, I know it's a very beloved game of abnormal mapping. The, the like sister network for export audio. They have a, video game podcast called abnormal mapping mm-hmm. that's also the name of the, the network um and they played through it before the i think before they even announced the the hd remaster oh yeah um, there was an episode of retronauts that did the same thing too where they played it and like yeah. the next week they announced a remaster <laughs> um and like i know they've been excited for it but also the i think the biggest complaint is um I forget the name of the robot, but the the English localization is like iron something. Mm-hmm. Um, but the whole joke in Japanese is that it's tin. Uh, the robot's made of tin, and that's like part of, like incorporated in the name. Um, so yeah, <laughs> huh. I'll have to keep uh, an eye out for that one when I get around to it because I don't remember what he was called in localization because I've seen it before. Because remember him having a kind of like. In the fan translation, having a kind of like Undertale-y kind of name, but I'm curious to see how they work that in the uh, official localization. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the I don't know how much you know about that game, but it seems really fun. I, with just like being a bunch of um, essentially like vignette stories. Yeah, like I know enough to know that it's right up my alley because like... Um, Two of my favorite RPGs are Mother 3 and um, Octopath Traveler. 
both of which are very vignette heavy stories i like i like an rpg being structured that way so like right off the bat the structure of live alive or live alive i think it's i think it is live alive i think the structure of live alive being like that right off the bat got my interest but i am also interested in rpgs that are willing to dip into um genres and tones that go outside the typical fantasy thing so like there being like a western uh a western chapter and like a space chapter and a wrestling chapter and a bushido chapter it's like i'm really excited to see kind of like how that's interpreted through different sounds of gameplay and how it's all brought together like and i i do love that 2d hd style that they started with octopath traveler and it's yoko shimamura who i'm a very big fan of her music like I don't know, everything about that is just like ticking off the specific boxes that I need to really, really get down with an RPG. So I'm, ooh, it's it's not high up on my playlist, but it's there. It's there enough that I want to hopefully get it somewhere in the next uh, 12 months. We shall see. Juicy, I, yeah. I have a game that I think you would really like, like based on what you're saying. What's that? So like in this game, you start out, you know, like nothing about the world. Mm-hmm. You start out in a small town and you basically just like set off and start exploring it. And as you go like on your journey, there's all kinds of people that you like meet and talk to. And there really are, there's like a ton of little like vignette like side stories mm-hmm. that don't even like go anywhere necessarily. They just like, you just like meet someone in town and they're like, Oh, like, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like, can you take a picture of me and my friends, like, you know, by the beach? And you're like, okay, yeah, that's, that's fine. Um, you know, I got some stuff to do over at the beach anyway. Uh, and then you do it. And then that's just like, that's just it. It's just like a cool, like, side story, nothing to do with the main quest. Mm-hmm. But the other thing is like, as you go through the towns, for some reason, like in this world, all the towns are like totally different. So they all have their like, like, are you just like a distinct vibe? You're not describing near replicant, are you? Because that sounds a lot like near replicant. No, no, this isn't, this isn't near replicant. Um, this game is like, this is like a lot more, this is a lot cooler than near. Um, <laughs> cooler than near? How's that possible? Have you not seen the secret church? What could be cooler than that? <laughs> Well, sometimes there are, like, in this game series, there are sometimes churches. Um, and, but you go through all the towns and they all have a different vibe. Like, like you know, one time there's one and it, it's like, they're all, like, colored a little differently, mm-hmm. you know? So it's, like, Lavender Town or, like, uh, you Cerulean know City. I know what I was like. I was like, you're, you're describing it's like a completely different story. <laughs> yeah, it's like a completely different, like... Like, uh, vibe, you know, they're really like yeah. dipping into different, like, I, I, vibes I, I, and I genres. Could, I could see it coming from a mile away. Like, whenever Paul Rudd goes on Conan O'Brien shows with that damn clip, I was like, it's Pokemon, isn't it? It's Pokemon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's really, it's really cool. Um, I feel like you'd really, and there's really like, you know, it really makes you feel good about yourself, you know, because you put in a lot of work. For what, and like, for, for what it's worth. as you like put in the investment to like get better, <laughs> then like your like your companions also get better, and it makes you feel good. And so you really like you don't get anything for winning it, you know. <laughs> but like, 
you have a sense of accomplishment and you like as an individual, you grow on the journey. And then by the time you become like the best, you just like go back to your like shitty, meaningless life. You have to go back home and face your mother with, uh, with pride in your eyes. Yeah. You're still just like a 12 year old with no money Um, and a bunch of like, and a bunch of like, and a bunch of guys like participation trophies. I looked up the 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 mech from uh, Life Alive. The Japanese one is Buriki Dayo, which means Great Tin King. What's what's the name they give him in in English? Um, I'm trying to figure out the. I'm having trouble finding that. Um. Yeah, I don't know if I'll be able to find it because. Like, weirdly, the information between these don't seem to have been merged. I wonder if they're in the process of updating it to be consistent with the uh, official version now. I don't know. Anyway, we should yeah. start this episode. <laughs> yeah, what were, we, um, what were we even doing? Oh, this, how did, how did the we get to this titan point? Or Iron Titan or something? Anyway. Iron Titan. Yeah. Um... Oh, have you ever seen have you ever seen the Iron Giant? Of course I've seen the Iron Giant. I love the Iron Giant. What are, what are your opinions on the Iron Giant? Hello and welcome to <laughs> Ghost Divers. This is an anime podcast on the Explore Audio Network. Um I will do Ennis, but I'm gonna go take a pee break first. Okay, that's okay. good that you're doing Sounds this good. because yeah. I am being texted about the near church because there are new there are new developments <laughs> in the near church and I'm I'm like what's going on? <laughs> okay, Sounds I'll like be you back. need to attend to that urgently. All right, I'll be back as well. What the fuck is going on? <laughs> what? <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm losing my mind here. Listeners, I have no idea if this is going to stay in, and this is dating the hell out of the podcast, but the near doors, it's being opened as we speak, and there's just a giant woman inside. I don't even know what's happening. <laughs> oh my god. Wow. Good lord. It's just a giant woman. What? I... I what? The Kayane? I am back. I'm, I'm trying to figure this out. There's just... There's just a giant... This is a giant woman in this church. It's just a big model of Kayane, I think. <laughs> like, I, I'm i just here for the ride for this at this point, because this is bonkers in a way that I've not seen in a long time. Like, either this is like... Uh, I, 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 is this, I, I don't know what this could be. I'm just here for the ride. It's it's bonkers. Um, Did Connor go to... To get water or something? Uh, yeah, Connor has not been back yet. There was just about, like, 
I don't know, like 15 seconds of me just being a gas at what I'm seeing here. I'll leave it up to you whether or not you want to keep that in the show, but it's in here. I always check out the audio when I'm gone if anything happened. Well, it's it's literally just me reacting to the, the near church and the giant women from from near replicate and dragon guard just I I Alright, I'm back. What? <laughs> just what? Goodness gracious. I, I don't know how, like, whoever's doing this is dripping this information at a rate that is ingenious because it's coming out like, it's, it's like, it's not enough information every day. And then people are like, why does this clip go any further? And he'll be like, my mom said not to take up all the space. And it's like, show us the church. What's in the church? <laughs> Goodness gracious. All right. I have no right. idea. Like. I have no idea what this is, and I just googled it. Um, uh, it like so so. There is. This, I haven't played near yet, so I'm not gonna like you. This is you don't you don't, you don't it it's, it's not it's not gonna spoil it for you, right? So like, there's an area at the end of the game, and there's this footage. Somebody was on the Reddit for months, being like, "My friend doesn't know what to do when they're in the church. What do I do in the church? What's up with the church?" And people are like, they were just writing this guy off, and they're like, "What church? There is no church in this game. What are you talking about?" Three months later, with no prompting, this guy posts this clip, and he's, like, in an area in the final area, and he walks into this wall, and a prompt shows up, and he hits the prompt, and he just walks into this door, and this door is just, like, all this geometry, and a ladder that goes all the way down, and when he gets up on the ladder, there's another door, and it goes to, like, this twisty, turny churro hallway, right? And at the end of what? this hallway is is what seems to be some sort of chapel church, because, like... Near near Automata takes place in a very far distant future from near Replicate, but they are still connected. They are both canonical. And in this church are elements and what seem to be like remnants of characters from Replicate in this church. And there's a boss fight in it too. And the thing about this is like, nobody's ever seen this. Nobody knows how this guy got to this door. Um, people have data mined the game, but they haven't found it. Um, oh, people wow. are saying the modding community has not gotten to the point where they know how to add stage geometry to it. So this, there's no way this church could have been modded into the game unless this guy by himself figured it out. But also, it, this guy could be the this guy seems to be the only person in the world who has stumbled onto this door. And it's like, did he fulfill some criteria? It's a dumb luck. He seems to be playing on like a one point zero zero unpatched version of the game and that's how that's where this is and people think it might be like residual like cut content or geometry from an older version of the game yeah that, that was got patched there. out that may have gotten patched out or made inaccessible in later updates yeah and like every day this person posts a little bit more because like the first time he posted a clip it stopped them entering this hallway and people were like where's the church you need to show us the church and the next one was like a five second clip of him being in the church and it's like you gotta show us more, dude. And so, like, every day for the last week, it's just been, like, drip-feeding a little bit more. And, like, the thing about it is, like, like one of the producers from near from near has, like, commented on this on Twitter. It's just been, like, endless mystery. And then, like, Yoko Taro is, like, see my profile. And his profile says, I cannot answer any questions about the series. Do not DM me. I cannot respond. And so, like... <laughs> the people who make this game are very well aware of what's going on and they cannot slash will not say anything. So everybody's just waiting for this person to post more footage because it's like, 
either this guy is, and this is a really, really, really convincing fake. This guy is dumb luck and has somehow stumbled on like a one in a billion chance to find this thing. Or it's some sort of viral marketing for the Switch port of Nier. Either way, nobody is quite clear what it is. And just a, we get a little bit further in this church every day. And now I'm just being sent these pictures of just like giant models of characters from like Nier Replicant and Dragon Guard. And it's like, what does this mean? What is in this room? What is happening? I, it's, I'm not even like desperate for answers. I'm just amused at this point because it's like this is ridiculous to an amount that I haven't seen in a game since like fucking trying to find Luigi in Mario 64 like L is real 34 or whatever it is <laughs> like this is that kind of levels of like creepy pasta what the hell am I looking at like man oh man man oh man if this is just Interesting. like I I woo, this is wild this is wild so that's, that's my little aside from that do what, do what you like with that in the context of the show but uh yeah, this is a wild thing to just kind of watch unfurl as a as a near fan and just a fan of watching weird hidden content be discovered in a game that may or may not be real. Guess we shall see. Yeah. Anyway, mm. I believe we're on to the topic of Miss Ennis. Yes. 